From the high desert in the great American Southwest, I bid you all good evening and or good morning wherever you may be in this great land of ours or beyond. Welcome to another edition of Coast to Coast AM. I'm your host, Art Bell. Before we get started, quick correction from last week. I mistakenly misidentified the demon Baphomet as his royal unholiness Belial. My tongue must have been possessed by the Anunnaki at the time. (laughs) I am making a joke. We all know tongues don't exist. Now let's dive right into it. Our first caller is currently seeing strange things in Topanga Canyon, as we know a hotbed of alien activity. Caller, are you there? Hey, Art, big fan, running right now in my living room. I might not hear you that well. What are you seeing, caller? I was just driving through Topanga Canyon, and there were these sets of lights hovering over my car, and I I can't tell, but I think they might have followed me home. And when I parked to come inside, there was this fog, right, that started to rise, and I looked at my watch, and my watch had stopped. And and another thing, I could have sworn when I was rushing home, I passed this sheep with no eyes. Now, there's the highly unlikely scenario that those eyes were plucked straight out of that sheep skull by a coyote, or, more obviously, this is a sightless sentinel sent by the Shogoths, an alien race no stranger to the free-loving lifestyle of Topanga Canyon. Wait, Art, you are not going to believe this. I believe everything. The lights, I see them again. They follow me, and, and they're shifting positions. There's more than one. They, they seem to be spelling something in Earth's English. What is it, caller? What are they spelling? I think it's the sheep, and they're trying to communicate. It says, ba, ba. Is it Baphomet? Is he insulted? Did he listen to last week's show? If so, did he leave a review? No, it's it, ba, 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 Ha, ha, very funny, but we're talking about serious things here. Now tell me more about this sheep with no eyes. Could it have been sent by the gray aliens, or is this some sort of sentinel from Oumuamua? Hello? He's been abducted. Godspeed, if there is such a thing as speed. Our next caller is a medium with a dire warning. Hello, caller. I have a dire warning. Who is this dire warning for? It's for you, Art. You must end the show now. Do not take any more calls or else... Or else what? Hello, caller. Words can't express what must have just happened to her, but she was probably abducted. Now we have a familiar voice, our old pal Richard Cooper, updating us on a continuing story. I think I found the Wolfman. Excellent, Dick. I've been trailing this guy for two weeks, and he looks a little too hairy to be wearing a V-neck like that. I'm just waiting for the next full moon so I can confirm it and finally drive this shovel straight through his neck. Good work, Dick. That waxing gibbous will be full in no time. Uh Uh-oh, I gotta go. He's on all four as we speak. Oh, wait, no, he just tripped. I'm gonna go help him up. There goes a good man. Now we've got a new caller from Unknown. Who are you, caller? And let's make that unknown known. Hello? Caller? Hello? Where are you calling from, caller? I don't know. Nowhere. Really. Nowhere. I've heard of this. What do you see? Mountains rise and oceans recede. All that's left is the pain caused by me. What pain have you caused? Fires? Sicknesses? Mothers at their child's grave? Whispers in the woods? I don't understand. How do you do these things? I am these things. Why have you called me? 
because you called out to the universe and something answered and that voice wants you to hear this. Baba Booey! Ooh, it's the Baba Boogie Man! That other call was a fake, but not this one! I know fake, believe me, I'm Art Bell! But it's just a phone call, he can't get to me here. My Sasquatch mug. My Yeti martini glass! My Bigfoot Big Gulp! He's here. There's only one book that can show me how to slay this demon. The Necronomicon! My Necronomicon! It's Necronomicon! Luckily, I have the e-version on my Necronomic Kindle. Ugh, why do they have to update this thing for the 2018 generation? Come on, where is it? Dabbing with demons. How to unfriend a kraken. Preventing sleeping giants from getting woke. Here it is! Banishing the Baba Boogeyman! Text unsubscribe to 666 on a silver iPhone. Data rates may apply. I could fight that later. Send! I think it worked. <laughs> oh no, my phone autocorrected to unsuccessful, which is a word I've certainly never used. <laughs> well, this is Art Bell. Signing off into the great beyond, which as we all know, is a simulation of hollow Tell my wife and kids. Baba Booey! I get it! It's funny! <sighs> <laughs>episode 60 launches in five four three two one and we've landed ellie meekly where every episode is ad free (laughs) this episode brought to you by mars (laughs) the planet mars also brought to you by mars bars also brought to you by smars bars is that a thing too i think i'm thinking of smothers brothers damn it congratulations america we just landed on mars for uh, the multiple time it's very nice to be distracted from tear gassing migrants trying to cross the border it's very nice (laughs) there's plenty of room all you have to do is launch something into space and people are like, what migrants, what? You just have to bribe the guard to the tune of $900 million. So, oh, hi. Welcome hi. to December, episode 60. Our fifth Creepy Christmas on the or sixth? No, it's the sixth one. It's the fifth. The last last year was a live one. That's right. Check that out, please. Easily searchably Jack Parsons on the internet. Just put <laughs> us in and you'll find us. Trust us. We're not even on the 10th page of the search no. results for YouTube, that. YouTube, iTunes, nowhere. LAMeekly.com. We're not even there, which isn't a website, but. <laughs> I mean, it'll never be a website because I can't get the money for it. Okay. Hi. How's everybody doing? Yeah, this is the sixth one. This is yeah. uh, part 666. Oh, that's right. That's what we were going to call it. When we did the first one, you laid out the first 10 and then I said, we won't make it to I four laid the groundwork. and you spit in my mouth directly into my open mouth as i was saying the next word you went patooey right and, I, ding, and i made a spittoon noise <laughs> and it came back, and it came back out. yeah this is the sixth one but the first one in two years that we've done in studio i'm glad to be uh back here with you yeah eating schmores eating schmores cold schmores that i tried we promised at the candy episode that this episode we would have s'mores and we looked at each other's eyes and we both agreed and i failed you today yeah because the p- little lighter gun i can't do it inside so i take it outside wind's blowing everywhere and also looks like i'm trying to get a gun loaded this is our 
our tradition. This is the episode we look forward to all, all year, year round. We should just be doing this all year, but yeah. there's a lot of paranormal investigation podcasts out there. And yeah, you this know stuff's what? real. I, These are the facts. Here's what they won't do. Jacks. I'll kill someone and make sure they haunt a place <laughs> and then I'll investigate it. Uh, will they do that? Will they go out and do that stuff? Is your Aaron Mankey going to go out and Aaron murder people? <laughs> No, um, the answer is no. <laughs> oh, I was that waiting. That pause was for... Uh, <laughs> Brought to you by Mars. We're also sponsored by Lore. You know, it's December 1st. Mm-hmm. How What did you do last month? Let's get into that. Wow, man. Did I do so many things? Wow. I, I didn't have to go through my phone and look right now at all the stuff I did. But the thing I, I didn't have about, to lie about my social life to have an answer for you. Yeah, I, you know, I, I really uh, Hollywooded it up. I got a headshot and I surfed a uh, surfboard. I went surfing on my headshot. Uh, I had my headshot to my mother. <laughs> I went to the bro to check out a new exhibit called Female Figure from Jordan Wolf. <laughs> I bet, you, bet you did. Let me describe it to you. You walk in a room. Only, yeah. only. Please f- describe the female figure to me, mansplainer. I can't whistle like the Tex Avery Wolf, but it would be in this. Let me hear. Behold this hourglass. <laughs> <laughs> only four people are allowed in this room at a time. You have to reserve weeks ahead to get an appointment to go in this room, and it's. A dentist's a, office. It's a dentist's office. And he says, where have you been? And I thought, oh, God, I thought I was trying to dodge you. No. So it's a animatronic female figure who looks like a stripper. And she has a witch's mask on. And she's tethered pretty much to the mirror in front of her. But she's got facial recognition. Did I already say that she has a witch mask? Yeah. And she'll be doing her dances and stuff. But she'll be looking at you and making direct eye contact with you. It's pretty creepy. And she just dances to songs. So she, so and she says so she says stuff in Jordan Wolfson's voice. So it's a male's voice. He just Is says. what you like, baby? Yeah. I killed my mother or something like that and it's really spooky and you get so locked into watching the animatronic movements like the hand is broken up by the wrist the knuckles and then the parts of the finger so it moves very fluidly and i just like you it's almost like sensory deprivation where you start staring at parts of this robot and you're like oh wait how did i get here and where am i again like am i at the road and it's good so the robot knows when it's looking at a person yeah it makes direct eye contact with you that's weird Facial recognition, so they so. have that now. And now you can put it on a I thing with I a face. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who I'm talking to most of the time. I wish I had the emotions of a robot. <laughs> yeah, you sent me a video of it. I did, it was, didn't I? It was upsetting. You should go. It was upsetting and quite honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what else it was. I closed the blinds for anywhere from one to two minutes. They also have another exhibit there that I think it's going to be there. for. I don't know how long Jordan Wolfson's thing's going to be there. By the time I say this, it's probably already gone. They have something called, is it the visitors? It's a black room, right? It's a large room divided into two. And in these two smaller rooms, there are nine screens each screen is videoing a room of this large house and in each room is a person brother it's big brother yeah and then there's a model and one no it's each room of these nine screens there's someone playing an instrument so they're playing separately or you see them separately but they're all together playing one song it's really good and that's for like an hour too is it live it's not live stream or anything it's just like a, it's an hour recording and they get up and they wake up and they go to the instruments and they get recording and they start playing and they saw one and instrument time starts joining the others and they play f- you together. know what that's an idea i had a long time really? ago yeah we should go to the broad and check it out because no i shouldn't check it out <laughs> i should sue the broad and check it out you should check it out so you know whose name you should uh be suing the name <laughs> the of the and their lawyer underneath <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, it's very, yeah, it was very neat. I'm still a little upset that my idea got stolen. Yeah, well, I mean, they did it better than you could have ever done it i think you forget i'm an artist <laughs> do you hear what i do with this podcast every month no it's very good you, uh, you would like that. I, when i saw it i thought you would like that i like when music comes together like yeah that. me too i like that. that which is why i came up with the idea <laughs> well this is what i did have you ever ever heard of a little place called the fair oaks pharmacy oh my god yeah i've heard of it i've been there on your i mean i passed it a million times but i waited for you to go inside and tell me to go before i ever went in it's pretty great here's the address i wrote it down 1526 mission street in south pasadena mm-hmm. very close to 
to where they shot a lot of Halloween. It, it's like a, cla- I mean, because I guess it used to be Route 66. I don't know. It, it, cl- it claims to be Route 60. Can you remember when it was Route 66? Yeah, there was <laughs> a lot of roads back then. I remember when uh, Route 66 was just a dirt road. No cars, though. <laughs> Real dinosaurs, too. They weren't happy about they, being hotels, but they, they did They were it. the ones paving the road. <laughs> it's an American uh, duty. It was America, even when dinosaurs were here. Even way before my Lord and Savior, Mormon John, or whatever his name is. <laughs> Nailed it. But yeah, the Fair Oaks Pharmacy, it's, you know, your classic pharmacy. Mm-hmm. Your classic soda fountain. You got your soda jerks. You got everything you need. It, it has a full, even dinner, like food service. Yeah. It'll, you'll, you can get your hamburgers, you can get your grilled cheese and your BLTs and all that and your your CBGBs and all that, <laughs> whatever you cool kids like now. And then they have pharmacy stuff. I, I think they have an actual pharmacy where you can get your prescriptions. prescriptions. Yeah, I can get my Oxycontins and I can get Ray-Bans in between two rye bread. Yeah. And it's a sandwich. And all that with a side of malt. But their ice cream's really good. I got a, a chocolate malt. Oh, yeah? Yeah, they have, they have... You, what? I can't have chocolate, so... Mm. It must be a side effect of your Oxycontin. Uh, <laughs> they have a bunch of old candy that mm-hmm. you can get by the pound and just in boxes. And then right now, they're all decorated for Christmas, so they have like 40 Christmas trees up and oh. you could eat them. <laughs> Greg, those were malted Christmas trees. They'll look at you in the eye and say, don't eat it, but you know what they really need. <laughs> yeah. The 50s know is a 2018, <laughs> yeah. yes. Uh, right next to, the, I think, the soda fountain is that toy store, the dinosaur farm, and that's a Yeah, good, there is. Yeah, I, as we were leaving, we drove by that. I was like, why are we leaving? I, I, <laughs> I got go one more stop. Di- yeah, I want to go to the dinosaur farm. <laughs> but yeah, the ice cream is very good. It's a fun old place to be, especially since the DeSoto pharmacy is gone. There's, yeah. there's no, I can't think of another pharmacy that serves ice cream, which they all should because it's health food. It's good for you. You know, I never made the correlation between old time pharmacies serving ice cream and Thrifty's Rite Aid serving ice cream along with being a well, pharmacy. Pa- apparently, some might have been Tommy from Valley oh, Rocks yeah. that we were talking about that Thrifty's used to have like a full lunch counter and things like oh, that. I Some, I know, that. Someone yeah. told us that. Some high plains drifter. Telling <laughs> us tales about the old Route 66. <laughs> Fair Oaks Pharmacy, go there. It's very good. Yeah, and yeah, it's highly recommended. You'll get, uh, you'll get ice cream. <laughs> you'll get ice cream. <laughs> you'll get ice cream. They actually use Thrifty's ice cream there. Do they? Yeah. Which I, I was, ice cream. It's the best ice cream. Okay. Um, well, no, okay. it's the best. <laughs> no, my favorite is CVS ice cream. <laughs> At first, I was kind of disappointed. Like, oh, they don't make their own ice cream. I thought, oh, Thrifty's is really good ice cream. That's yeah. what I want my malt made out of. You know, Fossilman's is not too far from that. I don't know why they that's didn't true. pick that up, but yeah, that's fine. They yeah, there's a rivalry. In town, there's Kohl's and Philippe's, and in Pasadena, there's, there's Fossilman's and, and Thrifty's. Fighting for the love of the Fair Oaks Pharmacy. Yeah, yeah that's what it is. And this week, Thrifty's the winner. Um, they're thrifty. It's the sensible choice. It's a, <laughs> why is it not a slogan? Well, well Thrifty's is closed, also, so it can't be a slogan for anything now. Fossilman's is made out of the fossils of the dinosaurs. They used to live on Route 66. Mormon John, bury them all. Anyways. <laughs> he sounds like a killer from True Detective. <laughs> <laughs> he rides a bike and he's coming after you. Mormon John's Mormon coming. John, he's knocking on your door. So let's get to our listener question of this month. So this question is from Joanna Linkhorst, mm-hmm. who is a former pal. Not a former pal, pal, current pal, former... Oh, we're uh, having two separate thoughts right now. <laughs> I'm she's saying a pal. former living person. <laughs> we interviewed her at the Rock Haven Sanitarium, so she was a former guest on this podcast, and you can go listen to that Great to episode. hear more questions like these, even though we asked her the questions. Yeah. But here's her question. What is that big graded area above, behind the zoo, question mark, question mark? Okay. Did you look into it? I did look into it, and I didn't understand the question. All right. So I panicked, and I did no research. Sometimes confusion is better than nothing. I lied. Oh, Here it God. is. I know the answer. You made a sucker out of me in front of everybody. That <laughs> empty seat. This you, empty you, you seat. Know you this can empty get a seat. sucker. <laughs> Fair Oaks Pharmacy. A sucker of your choice. A sucker out of every customer. That's their <laughs> motto. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. Like, I, I was looking on Google Maps of the LA Zoo, mm-hmm. which, I mean, par for the course with me. That's what I do. I'm I, not going to pay good money. The zoo see. is expensive. Life hack. 
Here's how you get around it. Never go to a zoo. <laughs> only look at the Google images of it. It's just the same. Oh, there was a tiger there? I've seen a tiger on TV before. It must be like similar. That, that could be a hippopotamus or just a cart selling ice cream. <laughs> so there is an area behind it. Mineral Wells is behind it. It's my favorite. Bottled water. From the source. From the source. From, from the natural wells. source of Griffith Park. <laughs> That's where there was a bad fire there in 1933 that we talked about oh, in yeah. our very first haunted episode. Wow, actually. really? Yeah. Bringing it all around. Yep. 29 people died in that fire. Mm-hmm. If you recall, it was the deadliest in LA history. And when I read that, looking back on my notes, I was like, I wonder if we've surpassed that by now. But I don't think so because this is LA history. So another thing that this could have been, there's also the Griffith Park composting facility, which is kind of near there. It started in 1966. They take all the leaves and like the branches and stuff from Griffith Park and they compost it. Another thing they have it, they described it as zoo-doo. Is that a pun on voodoo who do that zoo do that, that you do we compost here <laughs> it's the droppings of all of the herbivores at the zoo oh okay. it's all piled up what behind the zoo and it composts it all together and then they use that as fertilizer to regrow things in griffith park so it's completely self-sustaining that's that smell no that's not the smell <laughs> i know where that smell's coming from <laughs> i imagine that's what she's talking about because those are the two things kind of directly above or behind the zoo but there's a lot of things like uh, there's, there's so many weird things in griffith yeah. park there's, there's there's this like place up there that I was reading about. You can like see stars or like they have glass tubes and you could see like the moon and stuff. You like that? So it was made in the 20s. It was in some movie. Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy Dean. Jimmy Dean. James Jimmy Dean. Dean. Jimmy Dean. <laughs> James Dean. Sal uh, <laughs> Minio. <laughs> There's a lot of weird things in there. So yeah. I, I assume that's what she means because I'm not answering any more questions. <laughs> Frankly. Franklin Avenue. Franklin not... Avenue. I don't give a Zoodoo. <laughs> zoodoo is a new term I'm going to start using all the time yeah. now. Yeah. I got to go make a Zoodoo. <laughs> I got some flamingo droppings I got to go deal with. Someone's been eating too much brine shrimp. I'll see you later. <laughs> so let's get into it. First of all, uh, you know, it's nice here. This is a, it's a nice environment we're in right now. Yeah. Start the fire. I'm going to drop in the Dang, sound I effects got, I got what you're as doing. we're talking yeah. right now. Well, let me explain to you. <laughs> what you're hearing now isn't an actual fire. No, don't go running out of your apartment. I assume you all live in apartments. I know we don't have any homeowners that listen to us. Hi, Mom. <laughs> I'm sorry we had to repossess your home, yeah, Greg's sorry. mom, and you, force you into that apartment. That, you know what the curse of these episodes are, right? Oh, my God. I completely forgot about that. Yeah. A weird whirring. Every episode of this show, of The Haunted Show, is ruined in it's some way. Slightly going five years in a row, and now something weird is making a weird noise in the room. Anyway, I just lit a fire in this room. <laughs> the uh, thing that prevented us from having good s'mores. I brought my own fire pit. I forgot to tell you. But yeah, I thought, uh, you know, a nice little fireside chat here. We'll, we'll soothe you in this uh, terrifying time that we're about to live through. And go ahead and have some s'mores on our part since we couldn't do it tonight. Yeah, have a s'more on us. We're the graham cracker. Yeah. You're the marshmallow. This podcast is the chocolate. And that fire that I lit under all of your apartments <laughs> is the fire. So you better get to eating. So yeah, this is our haunted, creepy haunted episode of the year. Very excited about this, this one. The theme of this one is, uh, well, originally you were saying haunted San Pedro. Yeah. But then the ones I was interested in are in Palos Verdes, but also kind of bleed over and also maybe a little bit more and like the water around it basically the whole city <laughs> haunted los angeles is the theme of this one so is it bay harbor i don't know what you would call that i kept referring to it as the peninsula okay is bay, bay harbor, harbor a thing i mean not really I bay was just city 
the very real Bay City. <laughs> yeah, I read about San Pedro Harbor and San Pedro Bay, and I don't know. I guess I didn't do enough research to know the difference between if there is a difference between the two and how it connects. I don't to know. I don't, I'm not really sure what a peninsula is. It is an archipelago. Uh, Greg, are we talking about an ar- haunted, ar- haunted, ar- haunted archipelago? We all know what a peninsula is. It's like an island that couldn't get away. It's an island that would never move out of its parents' <laughs> house. <laughs> I'm in the garage. It's not really your house, Mom. Mom. It's not covered under the same electrical <laughs> boom. That's Woody <laughs> Allen as a teenager not moving out of his parents' house. Because, yeah, the haunt South Bay, but it's deep. It's like deep yeah. South Bay. It's like the Bay of South Bay. Anyway, it's Palos Verdes. San Pedro. Hey, we've wasted enough time. Let's get to the scary. My favorite thing is that so far we haven't picked who's going to go first. Oh my God. I have three. You have two. I'll go first. Okay. Don't start good. Let me do yours first. (laughs) The first haunting of the night, Greg's (laughs) self-esteem. Let's get into it. Here we go. It was a dark and stormy night. I bet it wasn't. So they put up two lighthouses. Problem solved. (laughs) This is a story of not one, but two lighthouses on this haunted peninsula of ours, which are very close to each other because I, I was originally like well I should just do one of them but they kind of like you can't have one without, without the, the lighthouse house. so yeah I figured just mush them all together that's fine double the pleasure comes double the pun let's get to it I feel like I did that first but go ahead uh, well it's funnier the second time <laughs> <laughs> you know you know, doubles work right here. couplets the rule of twos cut to 1790 oh no you always year. do this the English explorer Captain George Vancouver passes by the Palos Verde San Pedro Peninsula in his ship the discovery and he decides hey there's two points here i'm gonna name them after my friends at mission buenaventura and thus point Furman and point vicente were name born so they're named after friars oh, I see. in the mission in ventura and one of them was mark Furman. you said yeah mark Furman. Mark. <laughs> he oh his religious career was out of this world <laughs> Fernandez. Vicente Fox also. Yeah, Vicente Fernandez, yeah. We know. We know Named one. after future president of Mexico, Vicente Fox. I can remember. So as the years went on and the city grew and more and more ships started passing through here for business, this two-pointed area became treacherous and it was a dreaded patch of ocean that a lot of sailors refused to sail in because mm-hmm. too many ships had run aground or just crashed right on these cliffs and too many lives had been lost. If only there was a way. If only there was some sort of house sort that of can guide the be- way. On one single night, four ships crashed oh. into this area of Pile up. What's that? <laughs> so let's start with the older of the two. Point Furman, Mark Furman. He was named after Father Furman Francisco de Lausanne. Nailed it. Who was actually the successor to Junipero Serra. Wow, really? Yeah. So I, I don't like him. Okay. No, no, no. You like him. Oh, I like this one. The successor to anybody you like, like the successor to President Obama. Oh, right, right. I like, like that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was he on TV once? You know, I've, he looks familiar. <laughs> Did I once have a board game of him? <laughs> that recently went up in value. That is now an actual job application to work for him is if you can beat the game on camera. This land was donated to the city by Jose Diego Sepulveda and the petition to get a lighthouse put there it started in 1854 by Phineas Banning who I think mm-hmm. we, we must we have covered talked. many yeah. times. Because he saw going forward that San Pedro was going to be an international port and they needed a lighthouse so the cargo ships wouldn't just crash one on top of <laughs> each other area. into the cliffs but it wasn't until 1874 which is 20 years later <laughs> that the US Lighthouse Board agreed to it and on December 15th 1874 it was lit. Let's wait this one out. Yeah. I think that one accident was a fluke. <laughs> Every night, more ships. Wow, this is just like fluke city, huh? Yeah. <laughs> they added 40 miles of land to Los Angeles, just built on direct <laughs> ships from there. The flame would alternate. It was a flash of red, and then 20 seconds later, a flash of white. Okay. Which I think is a Billy Joel song. <laughs> Until 1889, they switched to all white, which that was the trend in the country at the time. The light could be seen 17 miles out to sea and could even be occasionally seen from Mount Baldy in San wow. Bernardino, which is that's pretty that's weird. Really Imagine, far. yeah, and they still 
crashed a boat coming in from <laughs> San Bernardino. Um, How we get this far, I don't know, but I gotta get to that lighthouse. The water's over there. I Anchors away, boys. <laughs> it's gotta wait for high tide. A really high tide. Really, we got an arc really storm. High tide. So the design of this lighthouse is not what you're imagining. What do you think of when you think of a lighthouse? Phallic, really Mickey tall. Rooney. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mickey Rooney runs it with Pete's Dragon. <laughs> this wasn't like that. It was done in the stick style, which was a very limited edition style of lighthouse that doesn't look like that at all. It's just a Victorian house with a tower with a light sticking out the top of oh, it. Oh, I didn't know that I could light like lighthouses, lighthouses, lighthouses more. Oh, I'm that talking sounds- about the band Lifehouse. <laughs> like everything I was reading, it was like you didn't, you know, it wasn't like a windy, wet place. Like it felt like you were in your grandma's house yeah. when you were there. I like that. The designer of this, uh, my grandma does live there. <laughs> the designer of this also designed the Library of Congress. So oh, wow. it was the okay. same person. Being such a cozy lighthouse, it lent itself well to the keepers that lived there. It was a nice place to live. The yeah. first were actually a pair of sisters named Mary and Ella Smith who lived there for eight years until they got sick of the seclusion and wanted to go find husbands. So they left. Yeah. Um, you know what a good way to attract down husbands is to delight. Like hey, there's a lot you. of sailors yeah. coming in. I mean, what, Fleet Week isn't what it used to be anymore? <laughs> that's how everyone found a husband back then. You make them want to come to you. <laughs> if you have a lighthouse, that's how you do it. You either ran a lighthouse or you were a sailor. That's how people got <laughs> how married people back met. then. It was all a metaphor. <laughs> so replacing them when they left was Captain George Shaw, who didn't need to... I kept thinking um, Robert Shaw. Yeah. Like, I, this, yeah, this guy's got to be really yeah. To Robert Shaw. Did he get eaten by a land shark? Man goes in the lighthouse. Sharks in the lighthouse. Sharks in the lighthouse. <laughs> so he didn't need to go out looking for husbands because he brought in his own in the form of his wife. They also had a daughter. So they were living there, these three people. Shaw, he was a very sociable guy. He was always having parties. People would come and party at the lighthouse. In 1884, the U.S. Lighthouse Service started promoting the Point Furman Lighthouse as a tourist destination because of its unique design and it was a nice location. While he lived there? While he lived there. Okay. People are going to come visiting your house all the time and we don't pay you for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to see the light. <laughs> I, I know you're in mourning but is there like a guided tour you can give us? Oh, is this where you pop a squat? <laughs> That's how everyone talked back then. Yeah, they were very vulgar. It's arguably maybe the most inviting lighthouse location in the entire country when you think of like the traditional lighthouses. Yeah, when you think of who li- who's living in lighthouses. Shot with two eye patches. <laughs> two eye patches, four peg legs. <laughs> a modern day General Grievous. <laughs> don't, don't. Don't give money to them. <laughs> this episode's brought to you by, um, I'm trying to think of the planet they found Grievous on. Uh, I don't remember. I'm so glad our rover finally landed on <laughs> uh, Vuatu or whatever. It wasn't Vuatu. It was, right. it was, I don't know what it is. It doesn't, you know it doesn't matter, right? <laughs> um, God, I can't wait to come up with it in the middle of your story. <laughs> so Shaw was glad to give tours of his home slash his office. Yeah. And the red car took eager tours right over oh, wow, there. Really? So unfortunately, towards the turn of the century, Shaw's wife died and his daughter moved out to go to school, which when I read like his wife died and then his daughter left I was like why would she leave him oh she was she turned 18 yeah, and she had she, to go to she couldn't spend the rest of her life in a lighthouse with yeah. her sad dad she's being homeschooled so it's a school a home and my place of business and also the wackiest tourist <laughs> destination in Los Angeles but still he was giving tours yeah. that's pretty much all he had and this sounds like the origin of the saddle lightkeeper I'm sure my it wasn't the died I, I'm sure it wasn't the origin I feel like all lightkeepers were sad before prior yeah this is how you make this a is saddle the curse one. of the lighthouse yeah exactly yeah people loved him but but in 1904, there were just too many memories there for him. So he left the post and he was replaced by Irby Angles. Until <laughs> a 19- name that demands laughter. He knew how to give a tour. <laughs> so Irby Angles was there until 1917. And then William Austin came in and his seven kids, they all moved in there. Yeah. But tragedy struck him as well as his wife died in 1925. And William himself died just a couple months after, supposedly, of a broken heart. Typhoid. 
Yeah. <laughs> Whatever they say that they mean, he has typhoid. <laughs> so now with no parents, the kids actually stayed at the lighthouse and the two oldest daughters ran it, bringing it all full circle until 1927 when the city of LA took over the lighthouse and made it fully electric and automated. No more no more like no more no more light keepers. Yeah. They turned them all into robots. Yeah. The, the, the sex robots still gyrating up there. At night she lights to, the way from <laughs> San Pedro Harbor to London. She brings in all the sailors <laughs> safe and sound. So things went smoothly there until Pearl Harbor happened and two days after that the light at Point Furman was extinguished so it wouldn't attract uh, Japanese submarines and it was never lit again. That was the end of that place really? as a lighthouse. It was now under the control of the Navy who dismantled the lens and light completely and turned it into a sentry room known as the chicken coop for soldiers to keep an eye on the waters for bad guys. Oh, bad guys. And straight chickens. <laughs> they would also lay all the eggs for the Navy. It was weird military genetic hybrid testing. <laughs> it sounded not crazy at the time, but you know, a couple weeks into it, We're going to save a fortune on eggs. <laughs> sure, it's a war crime. <laughs> After the war, they put a light on a tower behind the house to resume the regular functions of the lighthouse, but not in the lighthouse itself because the lens was missing after the war. Suspicious. It, yeah, it was on top of uh, General Tojo's house. <laughs> it wasn't until 2006 when it was realized that an old lens on display at a real estate office in Malibu was the missing lens. That's so funny. Because before that, it, it was in a museum at the Santa Monica Pier, but then a storm destroyed the pier, so they moved it to Malibu, and it ended up in this real estate office, and someone came in and was, one day and was like, you know, that kind of looks like this thing that used to be. That is, and it was. And I'm sure they had no idea. They're like, yeah, that's uh, that's our lighthouse lamp that we have in the lobby. What's the big deal? It's just there. It came with the place. So it was put back in its rightful place on December 16th, 2006, 132 years and a day from when it was first lit. It was put back up. The whole lighthouse had been saved from demolition in 1972 and was put on the National Register of Historic Places in June of that year. And it's now back in the hands of the city of LA. What's so scary about that? You say nothing. This is. It started with footsteps. Stop it. I'm too scared. I'm, seriously, I'm so scared. Don't do that. It was heard up in the light tower when nobody was up there. From there, it became so much more. People have seen a man in 1920s clothing pacing around in the old tower holding up a flame. So many think this is William Austin literally holding a torch for his dead wife, although this could just as easily be George Shaw mourning his wife, who also died. He just got some new clothes. People have also seen a young woman peeking out from the curtains of the house, but nobody's ever seen her full body, so they don't know which of the many women who lived in this house this might be. Show me your body! (laughs) Take it off! (laughs) My guess is it's that sex robot. It could just be George and dress we don't know some say that seems like some say we all go a little lighthouse keeper sometime <laughs> some say that these are just stories made up by the people who run the place yeah. to keep kids and vandals away but they don't have any neat excuses when it comes to the area around this lighthouse to start there's the point Furman cat lady so mm-hmm. she was a seemingly homeless woman who took care of tons of feral cats around the lighthouse who apparently that- can I, can I interrupt you for a yeah, second? Yeah, please. That is the funniest sentence you might have ever said. Say it again. A seemingly homeless woman who took care of tons of feral cats around the lighthouse. <laughs> That's my Twitter bio. It's just another day in Point Foreman. <laughs> well, there's more to this sentence. Okay. This is my Twitter bio. She apparently believed that the Catholic Church wanted to kill her and her cats. It's called the Catholic Church. They wouldn't do that. Cat is in the title. Kill cats live. <laughs> so she also thought they wanted to desecrate the area around the lighthouse. So I guess she believed there was something to be protected okay. around the lighthouse. She always carried around a jar of something that she claimed was the fetus of her stillborn child and said that it was a magical fetus that would protect her in the area from the church. This isn't a normal fetus. This isn't your everyday dime store fetus. No, this one's protecting me from the Catholic Church. Yeah. <laughs> so the cat lady most likely 
she's dead now because she hasn't been seen in a while. But people said that when she disappeared, the cats started acting very strange. Some started walking sideways. Some started walking on two legs. And some started dancing. And they were known to attack people who came near them without bringing them any food. They were feral. Come on. Don't make those generalizations. That's true. That's true. I apologize to the cat community. The Catholics. The Catholics community. Now, this is all stories and hearsay, but there have also been many figures seen roaming the cliffs who people believe are the ghosts of the many real deaths that have taken place on the property here. The cliffs here are very windy and dangerous, and it's known as Hurricane Gulch. They were even featured in Chinatown, those cliffs there. Oh, really? Yeah. Where he drowns. They were the they that's were Chinatown. Chinatown. Yeah, Chinatown. That, okay. That's Chinatown. Yeah. They Th- played- those cliffs are my sister and my daughter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because of this wind, many people used to think it was a good place to hang glide. It wasn't. No. In 1974, a guy got slammed into the rocks hang gliding here and was killed. So they banned hang gliding there. Apparently, kids like to lean off the cliff and rely on the strong winds to push them up and keep them from falling. Yeah. That's funny. The really cool kids floss dance while they're doing it. If you can do that without dying. Without dying? (laughs) Man. There's even been some attempted murders here. In 1992, some gang members forced two guys to jump off the cliff who they believed were responsible for one of their friends' suicide. They survived, but that leads to my next topic, the suicides. There have been a lot of them here. In 1996, two girls aged 14 and 15 tied their wrists together and jumped off the cliff to their death. In 1989, a man and a woman did the same thing, but without the wrist tying. The most recent one was in August 2017, when a 51-year-old man was found floating in the water. Then there are the accidental deaths, like in 2007, a USC football player was walking around the cliffs drunk and was found dead on the rocks below a few days later. Let's get away from this scary lighthouse and go to the second lighthouse just seven miles up the coast which is even scarier let me let me just listen to the fire for a second to calm down Mm, that warms my cockles I've got a pot over yeah, the coffee right We're doubling. So, we're making stew. We're making stew. I've got a boot full of beans yeah. hovering over the fire. Uh, still no the- s'mores, though. We refuse to warm up our s'mores. I won't go back to failure. <laughs> now that I've got a back. taste for cold s'mores, I can't get enough. I like that it, every part of it tasted like I was eating a different part of a piano. <laughs> that was good for me. While Point Foreman got their lighthouse in 1874, poor, dark, dangerous Point Vicente, originally Vincente, up until 1933 when the Pacific Geographical Society changed the spelling, and were too expensive. It was a depression. You can house a lot of people in that end. They stayed dark for another 50 years after they got their lighthouse. So for all that time, all they had there was a whistling buoy. (laughs) Buoy! It played that ringtone that you all know. That's a buoy sound. There were so many crashes happening that in 1907, sailors finally began their official petition for a lighthouse there, but it wasn't until 1916 after the Panama Canal was finished and more ships started coming through the area that Congress finally gave approval. And it wasn't until 1920 that it was finally built. So again, I guess if you want a lighthouse, start now because you're not going to get it for 20 years. Oh. And I want one in my backyard. The reason it took so long was because a man named Vanderlip bought the land who we'll be talking about later. He's okay. going to be my final story. And he refused to sell it to the government until they threatened him to take it under eminent domain. So he's... Okay. Sounds great. Originally, the lighthouse was going to be on a huge rock offshore that President Wilson actually signed an executive order on Valentine's Day in 1917 to reserve the biggest rock off the coast. <laughs> but luckily, they got that land from Vanderlip, so they didn't have to. Uh, okay. They, yeah. I feel bad because they probably picked one, too. I know. And the rock felt special. And they had it wrapped in a bow for <laughs> Valentine's Day. But Mr. President, <laughs> Mr. happy <laughs> Valentine's Day, Mr. President. Um, a bunch of 
dead birds on it. Yeah, there's probably there's like 40 boats are crashing into it. So Olmstead of the Olmstead oh, plant yeah. even had some plans for this whole area to turn into a nice park around the lighthouse, but we know how that went. Anyway, June 20th, 1925, the fog signal there was activated to signal fog man. And on April 14th, 1926, the lighthouse itself was lit. And boy, was it lit. lit. New terms. Keeping up with youth people. I'm floss dancing. Oh God, you will not let that go. It's still cool. <laughs> it's cool. It's so gosh darn cool. <laughs> this lighthouse is 67 feet tall, made of concrete with a five-foot lens made by the oldest lens company in the world, fitted with a 500-watt bulb that could be seen 20 miles away, coming in at just under $103,000. That's all information that I've I just heard. Just remember, it costs $5. It's a 103,000-foot-tall <laughs> lighthouse, and you can see it 500 miles away on the coast. Got it. I it, missed her information. You tell me something one time, I remember it. They reflected off of the Empire State Building back to the ships. So that they could see it. It yeah. brings in ships on the East Coast. It's that powerful. <laughs> it was the brightest in Southern California and was one of the tallest and most modern lighthouses in the entire country. Mm-hmm. And it's it's exactly what you're thinking when yeah. you think of a lighthouse. Unwelcoming, cold. Phallic. Yeah, phallic. Boy, oh boy. Somebody find me that robot. <laughs> so radio equipment was added in 1934. And when the Coast Guard took over the lighthouse in 1939, they used it as their Southern California hub to help distress ships up until 1980. During World War II, when all the other lighthouses were being extinguished, Point Vicente was deemed essential. So instead, the bulb was replaced with a 25-watt bulb, which is like like my lamp next to <laughs> And it was fitted with blackout curtains, so it would help people who knew where to look for it, but it wouldn't help direct Japanese submarines who didn't were, know where to yeah, look for it. Unless, you know, they listened into the transmission. Yeah, we could all thank Lucille Ball for putting that one out. For with, withholding us. America's secrets from <laughs> the Japanese. But after the war is when strange sightings started being reported at the lighthouse. First, we have to go back to who was keeping this lighthouse. Who's lighting the lighthouse? This guy. His name was George Lomdieu. Oh, God. It's off-putting. It comes right off my tongue. Say it one more time. great. Lomdieu. <laughs> it means man god, <laughs> which is very fitting. He had two assistants, Ben South and Harry Davis, who had come over from Alcatraz Lighthouse, and their families were all living on the grounds there. So for whatever reason, this group of people did not get along at all. And the first sign of that was in December 1925, when Davis sent a letter to the Lighthouse Authority that George was using profane language, and he was leaving without telling anyone. I feel like I already picked a side of this argument. I, I think we know where each of us stand. <laughs> the assistants changed, but George still didn't get along with any of them that came through. In August 1929, there was an incident where George's dog was chasing one of the assistants' cats. Mm-hmm. So the assistant's wife came and told George to keep his dog under control. Yeah. And George said his dogs can do whatever they want. <laughs> so, so then the husband came in and told George to leave his wife alone or he'd punch the face off of him. Cool. To which George said, hit me. <laughs> Hit me, and if you ever hit my dog or he gets hurt, I have a gun, and I'll fill you and your wife full of lead. Wow, that escalated pretty quick. he got reported for profane language yet again. Now, George had a wife himself who also didn't get along with anybody else who lived here. I could see. But in in 1930, everyone got transferred away, and they brought in a whole new crew. But after the war, like I said, was when people started seeing the Lady of the Light. She's seen walking around the top of the tower. She wears a flowing white gown and is always described as having a sad face. Some say she's the widow of old man Vanderlip, who we'll get to. Mm -hmm. But the most popular explanation is that 
she's a woman who was engaged to a sailor and they were going to be married when he got home. So she waited at the lighthouse for him every night until word came that his ship had crashed and he was lost at sea. So she finally jumped off the 130-foot cliff into the ocean to join him at last. An alternate version says she jumped off after being rejected by a man, but others say she was actually the wife of George who fell off the cliff one night and knowing what kind of guy he was, I'm wondering if that would have been an accident or not. He might have had a literal hand in this. <laughs> then, of course, there's a logical explanation. You see, after the war, Palos Verdes became more populated and new houses were built in the path of the constantly rotating light of the lighthouse, so people were being kept up at night by a lighthouse shining into their bedroom every 20 seconds and drivers were being blinded by it trying to get down the road so to deal with this they painted the landward facing windows of the lighthouse white to keep that from shining at them and this was when the sighting started which means that it was probably just a weird reflection from the paint that looked like a sad woman that everybody was seeing and after nights of coast guard soldiers staying up in the tower trying to see her they eventually realized well you can only see it from the outside so i wonder if that's the reason so in 1955 they added a thicker coat of paint and there were no more official sightings reported of her there were actually sightings of a second woman not in the tower but on the cliffs around it and people say that there are actually reports of this woman for hundreds of years before the lighthouse was even built so she usually appears in a fog and has long black wet tangled hair she's been seen by hikers and scuba divers in the water some say nightly you can see her there there are also reports of lights seen moving on the cliff and cannons heard from far away but the worst of all is that they say you'll be there and all of a sudden a heavy fog will surround you out of nowhere and while you're in it you'll hear whispering and then people start calling your name urging you towards the edge of the cliff meanwhile it's a good place to go whale watching (laughs) whales are ghosts too though (laughs) ghost whale watching the gray whales are migrating right now until april so go see that there's a museum that's open there once a month and the whole thing's on the national register of historic places still partially used by the coast guard and it's still shining but it's fully automated since 1971 Mm -hmm. but if we're really being smart here sad lonely guy at point Furman lighthouse sad lonely lady at point vicente let's push these two lighthouses together and make some ghosts happy matchmaker podcast matchmaker podcast ghosts matchmaker (laughs) That's what we're all about. <laughs> That's terrifying. I want to see the lady with twisted hair. And I also want to see Feral Cat Lady. I know that she's not a ghost, really, but... You can see the cats. Make sure to bring them s'mores. They love that. <laughs> Especially the way I eat s'mores. <laughs> like a cat. That's a classic lighthouse. Lighthouses, classic are, lighthouses lighthouse. are always scary. Classic lighthouse haunting. Now we're going to go on to our classic movie palace haunting. Oh, We're going to be baby. talking about... Oh, I forgot that I titled this thing. Things That Can't Die. The oh. old Warner Grand Theater sits beautifully in downtown San Pedro, 478 West 4th Street, as a tribute to the beautiful but long-gone Art Deco Grand movie houses. The Warner Grand is 87 years old and is one of the last standing movie palaces in the land of movies. It's also, according to our pal Kevin from Ghostwatch Paranormal, it's probably the most haunted place in the Los Angeles area. All right, you're going to get to our story with I mean, this we can talk about it up front. You and I used the downstairs restroom. Well, we, we were, were there. there for a short film festival. Short film festival, which I was so honored to be a part of. So, so it was so honored. Such an honor to be in there amongst upwards of seven, no more than 10 people. Uh, yeah, but while we were there... Let's go ahead and say up top that you're Mr. Negative Energy and you draw the stuff towards you. <laughs> go ahead. Every bathroom, I, the rare, <laughs> on the rare occasions that I deign to use the bathroom yeah. in public, every one I go to, it turns out is haunted. Like yeah. In particular, that stall that I was in, from what I understand... You remember what stall you were in? Uh, the last one against the wall. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah, don't go in there. What did you sense? I didn't sense anything. 
anything. It was just weird. I mean, it was weird going to the bathroom in public, but you don't uh, do that, do you? I sensed that other people were coming, and I wonder if that's a thing because didn't you also send something when we went to the Curl Cafe, and then this is the two places we looked up after, yeah, right that's afterwards. The other place. Yeah, I don't know if I sensed anything, but it, I mean, I never. I wonder if it's tied to the fact that you don't use public restrooms a lot, so when you go, you're uncomfortable, and then you draw a ghost out. Yeah. I create hauntings. <laughs> that's how unsanitary I am. It was weird. I remember it being dark though. Like it yeah, was like the light was a ba- the light was out like above that it stall was, or next to that oh, stall. Oh, particular over that stall. I remember oh. it just being dark because it was old. What, what was I thinking? Like, <laughs> but no, I remember like one of the lights above the stall. Yeah. The uh, yeah, the stalls was out and it was strangely dark. And now you picked that one to poop under. Yeah, this one seems. Catholic enough for me. <laughs> we'll get back to the beginning. When construction completed on the Warner Grand Theater, Jack Warner himself they called... started with the toilet. <laughs> we had built one toilet and we left it for a hundred years. What bad things could happen to it? Jack Warner himself called the Grand Warner Theater, it's the castle of your dreams. It was also his favorite of his movie palaces. It was one of the most ornate movie palaces in California and remains one of the best examples of Southland Art Deco. It's it was, a nice theater. It's very beautiful, right? Yeah. There was three of them. I think you brought this up before when we talk about Googie, maybe? Or... I, I, don't, I do remember talking about this because... No. The downtown theater just... Yeah, because we were confused. Like, why is this here? Yeah. Because I guess they just had a string of, you know, whatever. And I think they were trying to space them out because they wanted cities to build around Exactly. Those two sisters who were lonely at the lighthouse wanted to see if they want to see... Are there uh, any boys in this one? Oh, I don't know. Little women. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, there was three of them. There's one in Hollywood, which is abandoned now, but the the structure still stands. It's 6433 Hollywood Boulevard. It's between Coenga and Wilcox. That one's still there. If I show you a picture, you'll recognize it. Is it the hologram theater where Tupac performs nightly? Well, sometimes it's Billy Holiday. Um, <laughs> it can't be the strip, the adult movie theater strip club. You know, we thing. joke that it's the one where there's holograms performing, but the reality is it's it probably might. a strip club. It now. actually and might it, be yeah, that one. It could be that one. No, it, there's I've, something stupid happening there on Friday nights. I've, I've read several times Sushi's that it was being eaten off of toes or whatever. And Ashton Kutcher's there supervising. Yeah, he's he works there now because he can't get a job. Okay, so there's a Hollywood one. There's one in Huntington Park, 6714 Pacific Boulevard. That was split into business offices. The Warner Theater, the one in San Pedro, is the last one standing. They were all showcased to. Uh, it's still going. Like they still show yeah they still show stuff they don't don't, yeah we'll get into that the theaters were created to showcase warner brother films starring foxes yes (laughs) the fantastic mr fox (laughs) the vicente fox Fox, uh, biopic point vicente the movie (laughs) the warner grand theater opened on january 20th 1931 and it was the last time that the hollywood elite drove all the way out to san pedro (laughs) (laughs) the premiere film was not doing that again (laughs) this was 40 minutes (laughs) i was gonna say with no drive it took us 15 minutes to get home (laughs) could you believe it there was a dinosaur walking the road home he wouldn't get in the shoulder. There's too many lighthouses for me to be out here. I crashed into the bluffs. <laughs> the premiere film was going wild, and it was starring our old pal, Hollywood star baseball player, Joey Brown. <laughs> really? Yeah, he was in the movie. In that era, guests were treated to live performances on a small stage below the big screen. There was candy girls, like cigarette girls, and mm-hmm. they were giving candy treats. Like they have to- at the theater in Hollywood now, candy girls. Because it's a strip club, Greg. God. Uh, you're funny. Thank you. And you're edgy, too. Thank you. Thank you for noticing. <laughs> Thank you for noticing that I'm edgy. So they had candy girls, and there were bathroom attendants making you feel yeah. awkward. Like, I dude, I, I, had one I don't even have, like, I don't have trouble grabbing paper towels. Like, why are you here? And, like, I don't have cash on me, and you're you going to feel guilty? There was a guy in the bathroom when I went, and I tipped him, and the money fell straight through his hand. But that's then, only because I made sure it did so I could pick it back up. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually my trick on him. And I said, smell you later. <laughs> Little did he know. He smelled me now. Yeah. And that, <laughs> this is crude. This, this is literal bathroom humor. You're humor. edgy now. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you very much thank for, you noticing for noticing that I was edgy. That I am edgy and I also use the bathroom. <laughs> so the grand premiere was, of this theater was spectacular, but it's over now. And now we have a beautifully ornate theater in a port town. It 
basically was serving you know permanent residents of San Pedro and then the sailors and the Navy guys who docked there would bring dates. That was it for a long time. In 1948, a huge change came to the Warner Brothers. Their theaters and really all studios and theaters like the federal government. Junior Mints. Can you believe how good they are? And then they open up Junior Mint restaurants and no one wants to go to the theaters anymore? No. The federal government. <laughs> Everyone wants to play Junior Mint at home <laughs> on their big screen 12 inch TVs. 1948, federal government forced all the studios to give up their interest in theaters, breaking up the monopoly that was allowing rich studios to only screen their own movies and forced them to sell their theaters to third parties, allowing independent produced films their chance to be seen. But really, studios for rich like still uh, get priority. Nothing really changed. <laughs> the only thing that really changed is that they really did get the opportunity to showcase new films and a lot of them. All these benefited new audiences and new theater owners and it was a real heyday of movie palaces and American life too. Uh, all right, David Duke. Boy, the th- nothing gets better than the 50s. <laughs> what I meant was the heyday of going to the movies. Right. You're going with your friends. You watch it. I was a teenage werewolf and you're like, I don't like this. What's the name of the actor who's in that who's in Little House of Power? I almost said Michael Vick. I'm like, not him. <laughs> he dealt with another kind of wolf. <laughs> it turns out you wanted that wolf to survive. Um, the decline really comes from two blows that are also uniquely American. Television was one and shopping malls were the right. other, decade by decade. And they pretty much decimated old theaters that could really only show one movie at a time. The new multiplexes came and wrecked everything. So now it's the 70s and theaters like the Warner like Grand. Like Wreck-It Ralph's now in theaters. Now he's in theaters and he's on the internet. He's on the internet. Wreck-It Ralph's on the wreck the internet. He's wrecking VCRs. He's wrecking roller rinks. He's wrecking my Wi-Fi connection. <laughs> theaters like the Warner Grand and all those single old movie houses, they're done now. Luckily though, the owners... For my short film. <laughs> for your short film starring me. Let's save the old movie palaces. <laughs> we saved the old movie palace. A key to the lighthouse from the mayor of San Pedro. <laughs> Luckily though, the owners of the theater filed for it to be a historic place early on and they saved it from the wrecking ball. So it couldn't be demolished that way, but it, that didn't keep audiences coming in. It survived for years as the Teatro Juarez. It was a Spanish language movie I was movie just going to ask, did they turn it into... Of course, it's Spanish language movies saved all the old theaters in right. Los Angeles. Yeah. That's the only reason they're still yeah. there. <laughs> that was going for a while. That and the Apple Store, which is the real hero. I really want to walk into an old theater, beautiful piece of history and shop at Urban Outfitters. I'm edgy too. It's contagious. The after Juarez, they close and eventually it's reopened in 1995 by the Grand Vision Foundation, which was a non-profit dedicated to restoring the Warner Grand. Right. And that's pretty much where we are today. The theater still has events like your short film festival. Thank you. But as far as I can tell... It was an edgy short film I mean, festival, like, if I do say I mean, so like myself. skateboarding, heroin, all of it. As far as I can tell, they don't play mainstream films. Totally fine with me. Although, December 23rd this year, I think they're going to be showing It's a Wonderful Life. Really? It's a hilarious title considering Ghosts will be watching too. <laughs> it's a wonderful afterlife. It's a wonderful life. Well, old Greggy Beans, that's all fine and daddy, but I didn't come here to listen to no $5 city worry words about <laughs> some old picture box. Where's the spirits? Show me the ectoplasm. <laughs> Slow down, Jasper. I'm getting to it. Let's talk about the ghosts that haunt this old theater. One of the most recurring spirits is that, that of a smiling, dapper man wearing God. a nice, fine suit and a tie right out of the 20s. That's upsetting, even in life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I fashion myself to be a dapper, young, smiling No, you're suit a little too tie. edgy to be dapper. I'm edgy, aren't I? I knew it. I knew it. I'm edgy. I, I knight you. Uh, <laughs> Sir Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> a knight of the roasting table. <laughs> Some have thought that this is the ghost of Jack Warner haunting what he called in his living years his favorite of his own theaters. Mm. When he was alive, he would often frequent the pictures at this theater, relaxing in the seats. The spirit is even seen in the area that he used to sit really? in. Yeah, the back row of the balcony. Here's my problem with that being him. Did he ever smile? <laughs> 
I mean, that's no. That's the part that's throwing me that, out. He was smiling because he just framed a Kennedy for something bad <laughs> or something. He smiled because he made sure that you could never work in this town again, and he meant it, and he was able to blacklist <laughs> yeah. you just for turning him down. Yeah. He's the one who killed everyone at the lighthouse. Jack Warner, watch out. He's going to make a movie about your dead body. The spirit is only seen when the lights are off under the glow of the screen. Now, another apparition is known as the projectionist, and it's seen by employees in the projection room. This one's kind of weird. This sounds like the cast of Big Brother. <laughs> the, the smiling dapper man. The projectionist. The projectionist. Jack Warner. <laughs> Me on a toilet. <laughs> With live, round-the-clock toilet cam. No, I'm not done yet. The projectionist is seen loading and operating the projector, and he has been said to have pointed out problems that are happening with the projector to employees. To living employees. Living employees. Helpful. Paranormal investigators have recorded several orbs. Old fan, You're an yeah. old fan of orbs. And uh, EV peebs, which are... Ele- EV peebs. EV Ask, yes, EV jeebs. Electronic voice phenomenon. It was reported by some investigators that another prominent ghost in the theater is a lost little girl looking for her mother who could be heard on the ascending steps to the balcony. They think that there might be two girls actually haunting the theater. They've recorded EVPs of voices saying, Mommy, and do you see Mommy? That's recorded. I was going through uh, the website of Ghost Watch Paranormal, and it's just a bunch of shots. It's like a small flashlight and a, a shot in the dark. I'm like, I'm never... Lights yeah. on, I'm never going to that theater again. And they barge in on me. And the nah. <laughs> Oh, no! This isn't no. going to be on Discovery Channel, is it? <laughs> One investigator reported hearing a woman in her 20s who was desperate to communicate, but they couldn't understand what she was trying to say. Something that this is the mother looking for her daughter mm. or daughters. Maybe she was speaking Spanish and she's from the... She's from the we Tento need Juarez. A, we need a ghost translator. <laughs> do you believe in ghosts and do you speak Spanish? Oh, that's something that's common? Cool. So I've captured other voices saying no and get out other voices they've heard. Mm. Both of these were recorded in but one only of, while they're showing a screening of Get Out. Yeah, and Dr. No. Um, both of these voices saying no and Get Out were recorded in one of the main hotspots for activity. You're joking. The downstairs restroom. That's so upsetting to me. I knew stuff happened there. I didn't know this stuff happened there. Man, That's very everybody upsetting. Everybody mentions the downstairs bathroom. Yep. Mainly the women's lavatory. Oh, well, where that's where I go. That's where I poop. I do pee pee in the boys' restroom. And tr- I, uh, this is part of a smear campaign, <laughs> campaign against women. And I do mean smear. This is gross potty You're humor. being disgusting. I'm being so edgy right yeah. now. <laughs> I'm being Bill Burr times two right now. Number two. I'm, being a, I'm being a regular Lenny Bruce. <laughs> Lenny gross <laughs> that was the um one investigator reported that her hair was tugged coolest thing i've ever said has to be it one investigator reported that her hair was tugged while she was doing a sweep downstairs in the hmm. restrooms another place of high activity was the upstairs restroom too <laughs> where i also yeah <laughs> when you have ghosts in a restroom you should just call it a room because no one's resting in there other investigators recorded voices saying don't go the vortex we like it we like it a lot no idea what that means but pervert is that spook- yeah. pervert. we all know what vortex means uh edgy some people have heard music coming from the orchestra pit area except the orchestra pit area isn't there anymore hmm. they've heard live spooky music hmm. this is the second time this year i get to say ghost orchestra <laughs> what was the first time in the halloween episode when they're talking about ghost parties in the oh, 20s yeah. one of them was a ghost orchestra and i think i made a point how cool it was it said one more of the active areas double the pleasure double the pun it said one of the more active areas is the old green room, which is under the stage. It's also where I went to the bathroom. <laughs> I couldn't stop going in the bathroom where the performers would get ready. People have, this is weird stuff. People have heard whispers and disembodied voices coming from empty areas of that. Some people smell cigar smoke. Some people smell mince cologne. And some people smell grease-based makeup of performers when there are no performers around. Huh. There's even been a sighting of a crowd of people milling about the lobby and sidewalk all dressed in 30s attire. Huh. And then they vanish. And this was reported by other businesses when 
eyesight of the Warner Grand. You know, it's weird. I'm scared of an individual ghost, but I'm not afraid of a crowd of ghosts. Yeah, yeah, I could do that. I if could blend a, right in. Yeah, if it's if I'm watching the film Thirteen Ghosts, not scared. But if I'm watching Ghost, <laughs> terrified, <laughs> so scared. I went through a lot of different blog posts and articles, and they all seem to describe this place like it's the haunted mansion. Like there's a lot of different paranormal happenings at all different areas. Like you go to each room. There's a like, haunted orchestra. Yeah, yeah I know, right? It's like different <laughs> so rooms. For have some different reason, ghosts. Jack Skellington's there in the winter. There are a lot of different paranormal happenings and different spirits. There seems to be no crimes or death that happen at the theater, and so there seems to be no dramatic backstory of like that. That and that's the story of the yeah. little girl looking for her mom. Yeah. But it's all just fun and spooky. And and this is Ali Meekly saying, "We'll see you in a downstairs bathroom." <laughs> <laughs> you know the code we use. Yeah, that's so upsetting to find out. Like that place betrayed me. Like I I put the ultimate trust in that, in bathroom, that bathroom, and yeah. then this is what I find out. This is what I walk in on on this podcast. <laughs> it's so because that was one of the two times that you're like you went home and you looked it up because like something's weird and the other one was the Coral Cafe <laughs> yeah, in Burbank the Coral Cafe, which I, we got shamed in front of a crowd of people they're like it's not haunted I saw the security footage yeah that was after we left that you're like something's weird I feel funny <laughs> why does my tummy still feel full uh, I feel spooky a really nice theater yeah. but my god go to the bathroom beforehand I really want to go for It's a Wonderful Life because I've never seen it and I really want to see it this you've still never seen It's a Wonderful Life this is the year that I'm going to see it we were going to go to the um, what time is it on the 23rd I think it's the 6th 6 p.m. sorry uh, no you're maybe it's weird that you don't want to take full-time hours because you already have them that's a no i'm not working shut up <laughs> don't make fun of my financial situation it's well that's it. one thing that's off limits on this show is our personal finances Finance. yeah don't bring <laughs> them up for all the times i've called you poor <laughs> <laughs> it's playing at the new beverly which just reopened mm, it's the, the same. and they're not playing the thin man at all and it really bothers me and, that's I, my when tradition. i was looking through the calendar i was like greg's not gonna be happy with no, the new i'm beverly. really not the old thing the old town music hall is playing it's one of life so now i have like my pick yeah. of the litter of where i want to see it's, him like uh, old haunted place i need pictures of let's go it's like the aligning of the planets in 2001 for you yeah. pick your planet this episode brought to you by 2001 <laughs> brought to you by monoliths this episode brought by the fake moon landing which led to the very fake mars landing that we just experienced <laughs> it was started by stanley kubrick but steven spielberg finished it all right so let's get to our next uh, our next story this one isn't about ghosts this is where the what the <laughs> greg just broke all of our equipment <laughs> this is the one the creepy part we we've been all haunted so far yeah. let's get a little creepy i love doing the creepy the lizard people i oh, love yeah, it yeah, yeah. here we go just when you thought it was safe to go back in the podcast here i go again does it make any sense <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense in the sequel <laughs> sea monsters are something most places in the world have the pleasure of being afraid of but usually it's the more ancient parts of the world that gets sightings like yeah. this your locks your coast of iceland but we've had our fair share right off the los angeles peninsula i cannot wait to hear the words that you're going to say with your mouth. There are the regular weird things, like the gross stuff El Nino washes yeah. ashore. Just, just like dolphins with like a bunch of plastic in it. You're like, who did this? Yeah, <laughs> Who did this? Was it South America? <laughs> who did this to you? Shaking the dolphin. <laughs> a bunch of American flags falling out of it. Who did this to you? Obviously American products. <laughs> hamburgers and apple pies coming out of its blowhole. Did the Mexicans do this? Um, a record from Buddy Holly. Who did this to you? It was a Richie Valens. <laughs> weird things come up in El Nino. A few ore fish have shown up on the beach, which are those like hu- they look like sea serpents they're like those huge oh, yes, yes, yes. long things we call them dragons and we freak out for a while yeah and then I do a prayer to my god <laughs> the catholic god the catholic <laughs> climate change is bringing more sharks and god knows what else is in the water right now in July 1935 a, yeah, there's a lot of butts coming in and is that what you said did you say I butts? said butts go yeah. ahead I yeah. didn't want to derail you I didn't want to say butts yeah well you me. thanks for not derailing me <laughs> <laughs> so in July 1935 a giant sunfish was caught off the peninsula do you know what a sunfish looks no. like it's like it's it, a starfish but it's bigger yeah it's, <laughs> it's a starfish but during the day 
<laughs> it looks like one of the heads from Easter Island. Like it's a huge Ooh, thing. Really? It, it's it's freaky. That it's really big. Freaky. But then there's the violent things that have come ashore. There have been tales of people hunting abalone off of Catalina who grabbed them the wrong way. And the abalone, sometimes they can clamp down with their muscles, sometimes with 400 pounds Shh. of power. So if you grab them the wrong way when you're hunting them, yeah. it'll hang on to you. And it'll hang on to you long enough that either you'll suffocate underwater because you can't get up yeah. or they'll hang on to you and the tide will come in and you'll drown. Wow. And this happens all the time. Really? Yeah. And That's terrifying. A lot of people have had to cut off their own fingers to escape abalone. <laughs> Wow, I had Which no idea. We talk about weird sentences that we're saying tonight. Yeah. It's freaky. So then there have been the devil fish, aka the vampire of the deep. It's just Bella Lugosi in the ocean. <laughs> Bella Lugosi in a Speedo. <laughs> These are just eight foot long octopuses, octopi, I guess. In 1907, a guy in the water off of Long Beach was swimming when one of them wrapped around him and he had to scream for people to come help and they were all pulling it off of him and they ripped it off. He was bleeding everywhere. <laughs> then a little bit later that day, he had recovered and decided to go back in the water and got grabbed again are you serious <laughs> and he had to Lessons be saved. not learned i think it's gone <laughs> it's I a think big it's ocean safe to go back in the water just when you thought it was safe to go back in the podcast it makes sense now i get it, <laughs> I get it. octopus straight <laughs> the but all these things are just scary ocean like regular... that we can identify yeah, these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there are others okay Keep talking. No, don't drink water. Keep talking. Oh, no. There's an octopus in my water. <laughs> oh, no. I have too much water in my body. In March 1907, people off Long Beach, again, they saw a 15-foot-long fish with three small horns on its head and a three-pronged tail that was three feet long. No one knows what this is. It's a two-headed triceratops in the Sims. It's trying to find Route 66. <laughs> Here's Bill Lugosi in a Speedo or whatever I said. <laughs> whatever I said previously. So then off the peninsula, our main area here. Oh, sorry. I'm so sorry. The last one was 1907? 1907, yes. Okay. Off of Long Beach. Two years later, a little bit, you know, know where we're talking about a group of fishermen saw a 40 foot long beast that moved like a snake with big eyes and once it saw them it chased after them and as they were escaping they threw a lead weight at it and it caught it and spit it back at them and dented their fishing box and then i guess they got away a similar if not the same creature was sighted a couple years later in the same area on december 30th 1911 the most similar story i found to this sort of thing was something in the gulf of california where all those apple pies and american (laughs) flags are washing up from it's called El Demonio Negro, which is black demon. Black demon. It's like a huge great white shark, but it's it's black and it can't be caught and it's very aggressive towards humans this is like a legend in that Uh area it was last seen in 2008 this sort of thing it falls nicely into the megalodon belief teeth of which have actually been dug up around California so the legend of a megalodon off the coast of California still being alive has been around for so long that the book The Meg it actually took place in LA really the book version of it it. yeah Yeah. I had no idea there's one monster in particular that's had the most sightings and is the most well documented they call it the thing. <laughs> now Sometimes playing. You can't uh, even come up with a good monster <laughs> they name. They call it John Carpenter's The Thing. <laughs> There's also another name for it, Clemente Clem. So it's named after San Clemente Island because that's where it's believed to be coming from. They call it Clemente Clem. Oh, my darling. Oh, my darling. Oh, my darling. Monster creature. (laughs) There's a legend of a certain area of the water off of that island east of Pyramid Cove. That is the location of some huge magnetic disturbance that'll screw up your compass. And wherever the source of that is, is believed to be where Clem is coming from. Most sightings have happened in this area of water between Catalina and San Clemente Islands, but sightings have been seen all over the peninsula area. The earliest recorded sighting was in 1916 when a fisherman named Ralph Bandini, he saw something near his boat. 
He describes it. It had a great columnar neck or body. Surmount this neck or body with a flat-topped blunt reptilian head with two huge round bulging eyes. I never want to look at such eyes again. So, of course, he shot at it and it swam away. But in the 20s was when multiple reports of this same thing started showing up. Sardine fishermen said they regularly saw it around San Clemente Island. People involved with the Catalina Tuna Club claim they've encountered it, including many respectable and legendary fishermen of that group, but not many... Winston Churchill. Not many willingly talked about it for fear of sounding insane. Abbott and Costello didn't want to be looked at as fools. (laughs) Some of these stories are even recorded in the history of the Tuna Club book. Really? Most of these reports described it in similar ways. It was said to have a head resembling either a horse or a reptile with a mange of stiff hair about two feet long with a reddish tinge, a long neck about 20 feet long, a dark body about six feet wide, and they always made a point to bring up the eyes of this thing. They were dark eyes about a foot wide each, not set on the side like a fish, but more central, but they weren't mean looking eyes. They were sad to the point of being lifeless eyes. One guy described them as though they had seen all the death the world has suffered since its birth. Not dramatic enough. (laughs) Hey, if you're out on the water and you see this, you're going to be traumatized like like Lou Costello. (laughs) Abbott and Costello meet Meet the sea monster. (laughs) The thing that's seen all death. (laughs) (laughs) Played by Bella Lugosi in in a Speedo. speedo. Uh, Or whatever we (laughs) said. Who can remember? Describing this thing that's saw all the death of the world. He said he had looked into the eyes of the past and looking was not good. Whoa. There was even an article about the thing in Esquire magazine in July 1934 because he was wearing the, the hottest Speedo. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was the newest thing. <laughs> What's the thing wearing this summer? But the monster was always described as being very shy. It wasn't aggressive at all and whenever you'd get close to it, it would submerge and disappear. A professor at Stanford tried to explain away reports of it as being a sea elephant <laughs> to which a legendary fisherman named George Farnsworth replied, I know a sea elephant. This was no sea elephant. Oh my God. <laughs> my mother's a sea elephant. Ma- I'll have you know. So some blame the disappearance of the bluefin tuna and the albacore in the San Pedro Channel from the 30s to the 80s on Clem feeding on them. Oh, wow. Okay. In 1953, a guy in Long Beach shot at what he believed to be Clem, and similar sorts of sightings happened in the 50s all the way to in Santa Barbara and La Jolla. Oh. Our, I know a guy in La Jolla. Yeah, I know, a guy, I know a guy who had to rush to La Jolla, and we never got a picture with him, and I never got my thing autographed. And uh, it's okay. We're you know, yeah, we're not his biggest fans. You hear me, Mr. O'Brien? I know you're in the world of podcasts now. There were so many sightings of these things that in the late 50s, they would have an annual sea serpent search off the Southern California coast. Really? Nothing has been seen of Clem since then. And many think that she might be gone for good ever since the Navy started testing depth torpedoes in San Diego in the 60s because mm-hmm. they think she had moved that down there and those yeah. killed her. Uh, <laughs> uh, sorry, nature. Uh, military takes over nature. That's fine, right? All of my stories are being destroyed by the military. <laughs> I guess that's how, I mean, that's how every monster movie goes. Yeah. The Moore's Beach Monster in Monterey in 1925 was believed to be a kin of Clem. This is a kind of a famous sea monster. And it turned out to actually just be a badly decomposed Baird's beaked whale. But similar things have been cited in that area, like the Old Man of Monterey Bay. And even further north, there's something called Colossal Claude in <laughs> Oregon. So Clem may either be dead or gone forever from our waters, but that doesn't explain why on foggy nights off the peninsula, some people still hear strange moans 
sounds coming Whoa. from the water. Those are the sea monsters off of the Love Los it. Angeles coast. Love it. Because I was telling you, like, I was I wanted to do sea monsters, and I was reading stuff. I was like, oh, there's not much here. They just they little stories here and there. And then I realized all these stories are describing the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> this thing with big, sad eyes. That's great. This one. This story yeah. here. Let's get to your next story. Another haunting. haunted one? Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah, baby. Oh, yeah, give it to me. <laughs> Let me just say a Hail Mary. Mary. <laughs> You nail so Catholic. You're so Catholic. Have ghosts? We'll travel. <laughs> All the tellings of this tale start the same way. Jackie Hernandez was splitting up with her husband. She left him only with her two-year-old son, but also with her zero-month-old baby that she was carrying inside hmm. her body, which she left. She was pregnant. She left no, the baby. No, she left with them. And take this with you. Yeah. She leaves him and moves into a small bungalow near the corner of 11th Street and Grand Avenue, a gray bungalow at 593 West 11th Street in San Pedro. And at first, the strange happenings were here and there, and there were small things, things that could be written off. Sometimes she'd hear strange knockings all hours of the night. Sometimes object would be in completely different places than where she left them. Some nights she'd hear a voice or a mumbling coming from the attic. Then... It's her yeah. husband who wouldn't leave. Yeah. Just Please. let me back in. It's strange. I don't know what I hear up there. I, it's, she's like, <laughs> I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> then small escalations in that. The cat would be playing with shadows or the mm. bed would collapse for no reason. No worn screws. No buddy on the bed. The bed was just collapsed. No buddy on no the bed. Body on no the bed. body on the bed. <laughs> then huge escalations. Once there was a friend over and they noticed that there was a red sticky liquid seeping from the walls, oh from the God. woodwork of the walls. Jacking her friend another evening. Do you store jelly in the attic? <laughs> You know, maybe. <laughs> maybe once. Maybe once. Oh, the kids were looking for jelly and I forgot where I put it. I think I put it in the interior walls. Insulated. I think I put it in the, the insulation open. <laughs> open upside down and it's just taking forever. One night, her and her friend were sitting at the dinner table and they saw pencils shoot out across the room. Not directed at anybody, but with the force to pop an eye. Strong. <laughs> All the eye poppingly strong. Eye poppingly strong. All of this is weird, but somehow she had convinced nah. herself that these were hallucinations of an exhausted brain of a pregnant woman. She was just mm-hmm. writing it off. It's all just stress. Women are crazy, said a woman. She's frantic. Her she's ho- hysterical. She's hysterical. Calm down. Yellow wallpaper. <laughs> her hope was that once her daughter was born, the odd stuff would stop happening in the bungalow on 11th Street, and it would just all come to an end. Then April of 1989. What if the baby's the culprit? Go on. Jackie gave birth to her daughter, and it was a monster. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what did you do to its eyes? <laughs> so April 1989, baby's born, and how joyous, surely paranormal activity will cease now. Nope, it only got worse. The form the new awful took was in nightmares. Really horrible, really specific nightmares that Jackie was having. In these dreams, she'd see a young man dressed in like 30, 40s attires being clubbed to death, dragged out to the harbor, and drowned, his head being held underwater until oh he was God. dead. Then she'd wake up right when the person died. Sometimes she'd watch it unfold. Sometimes she would be experience it as the young man being clubbed to death. <laughs> Each time she had this dream, it sucked, obviously. And this was a recurring nightmare she had for months. One night, she wakes up in the middle of the night from the nightmare, and she's panicking, and she's sweaty, and she gets up to go to the bathroom, and she's walking down the hallway, and she sees an old man sitting on the bottom bunk of her kid's bunk bed, glaring at her angrily. And before she can react, he's gone. Is it Jack Warner? It's actually Jack Warner. He's like, you know, I want you, you two, to watch you My Man Godfrey. Yeah. You all should be watching movies. <laughs> <laughs> the kids would like it more if you took it to the movies. Just popcorn on the floor. <laughs> What's that? I smell butter. And the real question about this ghost is, is he going to help pay rent? Um, (laughs) She saw this apparition one more time. Is he single? Is he single? I'm looking. She saw this apparition one more time as she passed the kitchen, catching him sitting at the dinner table, disappearing before she can react to it. She said this time he was wearing overalls and looked 
dead. So it's actually like she's oh. wondering if it's a different yeah. apparition. Another time she went up to investigate noises in the attic and she saw a disembodied head floating up there. <laughs> don't mind me. <laughs> no bodies here. Um, that's a joke I, from Young Frankenstein. I got no, no head. <laughs> so now it has escalated to the point where she can no longer stay silent on the matter and no longer brush it off as stress or hallucinations. Maybe she was pregnant again. You was she on her period? She should probably pee on a little thing. She's now telling everyone that she... She must have wanted chocolate. She's now telling everyone she can about the strange happenings in this house. And luckily for her, some neighbors could believe her story because they're seeing her. First of all, they're seeing her completely worn out, looking like a woman who's living in a haunted house, which she is. <laughs> but another reason that they believe her is because one neighbor saw the apparition of the old man standing in the middle of the street glaring at her oh and God. then vanishing suddenly. So this is something that's spilling yeah. onto the streets. I don't know if this was a neighbor. Oh, this is hysteria. A bunch of desperate housewives going nuts. You know how you can get on the same cycle as another lady? If one lady sees a ghost, they Synchronizing crazy hallucination. Yeah. Uh, men are great. Uh, <laughs> men are so cool about everything and not mean. The neighbor who saw the ghost, I don't know if this is the one or if it was another one, but one of Jackie's neighbors took it upon themselves to call in an expert on the matter since Jackie was so afraid of being laughed at and so required yeah. another person to be I'll like, I'll call someone to laugh at you. <laughs> don't worry, I'll take care of it. Ha ha ha. The expert who was called was paranormal investigator Dr. Barry Taff. Taff okay. is known famously for his That's work familiar. on the Doris Bither case, which took place on the Braddock Drive in Culver city this was going to inspire the entity the movie in the book because you've always been talking about that entity house and mm. i've always been trying to find more on doris bither okay i didn't know we were talking about the same, same thing, thing. <laughs> i guess i didn't know that you were talking about doris bither that's the same thing okay. he was working on that previously and i first thing i thought was just like detective carlo was working on hillside strangler and then he did the night stalker it's yeah. the same thing with barry taff <laughs> yeah. where he picked up one great alley story yeah, and they're immediately the they're all clemente they're Clem. All. <laughs> yeah but the entity that's a completely another episode we'll get to another day so dr taff is called in on the case and initially jack Jackie is very hesitant to open her home to strange men with EVP meters, so she wouldn't even answer their questions. But as things continue to escalate in the bungalow, she finally decided to get Barry Taff and his crew inside to investigate. Barry's team included professional photographer Barry Conrad, a cameraman and paranormal skeptic Jeff Wheatcraft, and a fourth investigator. I don't know his name. Jack Warner. Jack Warner. They all go in August of 1989. This crew entered the haunted house on 11th Street. This was the 80s? Yeah, 89. I was five. You were one. I was one, yeah. Yeah. Don't tell people how young I am. Your mom plus how long goes when she's pregnant. Uh, <laughs> and then I came and, and then you came and in. vanquished them because I'm a Catholic savior. They enter the house pretty quickly. Things started to trigger these guys. <laughs> it started with, you know, common haunting stuff, feelings of discomfort. Taff even commented that he felt a great deal of pressure on his body as if he was underwater. Hmm. Then the noises from the attic started acting up, and often they'd hear a heavy footstep, like a bunch of noise and a heavy footstep. Taff commented that it sounded like a 200-pound rat in the attic. <laughs> I prefer ghosts. So the team starts doing sweeps, and cameraman Jeff Wheatcraft pops his head into the attic to take photos. Remember, this guy's a skeptic. Pops his head in, click, clack, click, click, and when he suddenly hears- he was the disembodied head. The ghost saw that. What is this? Whoa, I like that! <laughs> oh, it's uh, Hillhauser up there. So suddenly, he's up there, he's just taking photos in the dark, and he hears a noise behind him. Hmm. Now, Wheatcraft knows he's alone in the attic so he's smart enough not to turn around expecting anyone to be there so he swings his camera around and oh hits no. the shutter oh no smart move right you're about to show me a picture of this aren't you except right when the flash went off the camera was pulled from his hands and thrown against the wall <sighs> the lens was separated and it landed a few feet from the camera body huh. camera body landed in a weird storage crate <laughs> 
Count it. Swish. You know, I'm glad that happened so I don't have to see the picture of what this was. Yeah, that happened. Barry Conrad, the photographer, he goes up in the attic next. He starts (laughs) taking photos and he finds that once he gets up there, his camera's malfunctioning. And he'd come back downstairs and it'd be working. And he'd go back up there and he wouldn't be working. And Mm -hmm. that happened. That was like day one. Now, remember, Wheatcraft is the skeptical team. And after all the attention in the attic, he's starting to believe that some of this may be true. It only gets worse for him. Hernandez and the team come back from the following month, September of 1989, when some of the activity begins to escalate. Dr. Taft didn't make it for this trip, but other than him, the same team comes with additional photographers. And on this trip, they get to see the red ooze coming from the walls that Jackie has seen earlier. This ooze gets sent off to a lab at UCLA for analysis, and they later find out that it's human blood plasma. No idea what's going on there. You could sell that. Oh, money. Could Uh, someone say profit? (laughs) I am a profit. So they're collecting this red ooze that's coming out of the woodwork of the walls. They're hearing noises from the attic, but this time the noises coincided with orbs floating around the house. Then, and this is so weird and it sounds so fake, but there was a highly charged electrical light that, I don't know if it was pulsating, but it shot out of Barry Conrad and it stunned him. What? Was and it the lighthouse? It was the lighthouse. And Conrad <laughs> said there was a warm sensation about it when it moved through his body. Wheatcraft, dealing with his newfound fear of ghosts, heads back up into the attic with another photographer, Gary Bohm. Once in the attic, the two rookie Scooby-Doo mistakes they split up go to opposite ends of the attic so the two men in the attic opposite ends jeff hears a snapping sound behind him and before he could turn around fully he is yanked by the neck and dragged to the corner of this tiny attic and pinned against the wall the word hanging was used as was the word noose which confuses me because that's the level of manifestation that i tend to roll my eyes at but okay whatever so gary bohm is just hearing noises coming from the dark and he doesn't know what's happening so he goes and he just snaps a picture in the direction and he oh figures, no now you're gonna show me the picture aren't you oh god no this photo exists that was a photo he took. You want to describe what you're saying? It looks like a guy riding a beam in an attic and trying to like do a funny dance move. It's kind of like Lester Bangs is pretending that he's hanging from a wall. It's a guy with his neck. It looks like pinned against a slat yeah, like in his the beams. Because sm- sh- it's kind of like a slanted attic roof and his head is like smushed against it. Yeah, like at an angle. This is weird. That photo is this. You're looking at it right now and it shows a pinned to the corner of the attic ceiling. So hanging from a noose might very well have occurred. When Gary freed Jeff off the rope, he had a circular burns around his neck showing the strength he used to pull and hold wheatcraft. The rope itself was twisted around a protruding nail so some activity occurred. It wasn't like a rope being held by nothing. Tied around something. It's you know like a I mean? hanging machine? <laughs> about that is that there are several photos of this from different angles so i don't know if this was staged or did gary just take a bunch of photos before releasing jeff both are plausible yeah (laughs) a little bit more the lighting was a little (laughs) off i know that you're in severe danger but i gotta get more photos of this my thumb was in the shot something that is certain though is that jeff wheatcraft never stepped foot in that house again fair you're welcome back you don't live here so not long after this event jackie hernandez went over to barry conrad's to drop something off conrad met her grabbed whatever the thing was and went back inside but now Something's going on inside his home. After that day, Conrad reported that chairs would move around his room and would eventually end up in the middle of the room. Flashlights would turn on and off by themselves or they'd be found in completely different rooms than the ones they were left in. One time, a flashlight was found standing with the light facing up, bounced upright in the middle of the room. And another time, he found bullets next to a lit stove with the burner on high, close enough to have exploded most bullet-like if they had not been seen sooner. Bullets explode? That's how guns work. It gets hot and then they shoot. Don't okay. they? I don't know. I have no 
they shoot, but I know they pop. At least they uh, probably don't have the pressure of a gun, but they know they. I know. Do they? I, I was they have thinking, gunpowder in them, and if it get hot, do they? Do they have gun? How does they? a bullet work? Bullets have gunpowder. This is why we should have joined the NRA. <laughs> I'm pretty sure bullets have gunpowder in them. Because all I'm thinking about is like loading a musket. But something would have happened to the bullet. Yeah, it would have gotten warm. <laughs> you could eat it. It would have turned into a s'more. So Jackie Hernandez, though a brief encounter they had, had spread ghosts to Barry Conrad. So you might be asking yourself, why doesn't Jackie just move out of the house? Well, she answered a few months after when she moved out of the house. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you why, because I am. She went all the way to the farming community of Weldon, California, in the Kern River Valley near Lake Isabella. She moved back in with her ex-husband in an attempt to patch things up, and a return to normal for Miss Hernandez for a few months. Oh, no. The rekindling didn't take, and her husband moved out of the trailer they're living in, and now it's Jackie and the two kids alone in a rural, remote part of the state with little to no contact with the family. She made some friends in the trailer area, but that's when she started hearing the knocking again. And after the knocking came other strange sounds. And one day when her- Who's there? No, I don't want to find out. One day when her friends were helping her move a TV into the storage shed, they all witnessed the face of a man reflected in the TV screen. Huh. So they all split. And, and it was Ed it. Sullivan. <laughs> Jackie recognized the face as the man from the bungalow. That night she's dear david this, this is the dear original david. dear david that night she awoke to the sound of frantic knocking coming from inside the shed as if someone was desperately trying to get out the ghosts had followed her to weldon california she called for help she had barry conrad and jeff wheatcraft eh, not live in the same place you can come into this one they made the trip up to weldon as soon as they got there they saw orbs of light flickering around the room their equipment was malfunctioning the tripod was twisting on its own all this is happening and then a neighbor suggests uh hey why don't we try to talk to it with a ouija board rookie mistake so they have a seance in the trailer in weldon uh, parker brothers parker brand. brothers yeah once they started the temperature in the room dropped near to freezing and the candles they all lit for the, the light blew out a few times despite there being no noticeable breeze so Bear leads the seance and asks the usual questions. Is there someone here or are you a ghost? Or as I would have asked, ye be ghost? In classic 90s dialect. Yeah. Both questions were met with a yes. So here's the rest of the questions and answers. The live people asked, how long have you been trapped? Ghost answers, 60 years. Yes. Did you die in the house? No. Where did you die? San Pedro Bay. <laughs> did you drown? No, I was held underwater. Hmm. Did you live in the San Pedro house? The ghost answered yes. Hmm. So in a bungalow. In a bungalow. When they asked the ghost why he attacked Wheatcraft in the attic, the response was resembles killer. Hmm. Then they asked the spirit. Sorry. Then they asked the spirit why it attached itself to Jackie and responded energy. And then they asked what kind of energy was it drawn to, and the spirit said dead. So she has dead energy. I think the assumption from this is that Jackie had negative energy she had about no charisma. Her. She just could not carry conversation. She had negative energy, and probably due to the stress and the separation and raising kids on her own, and it was that negative energy, as we were saying with you in the bathroom thing, it draws <laughs> in spirits, negative hey, spirits. Hey, come on, let's not. I'm not negative. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not, Greg. <laughs> it was then when they were answering questions in the seance that Wheatcraft and the chair he was sitting in levitated off the floor mm. as the group watched. Then the chair dropped, but Wheatcraft didn't. He remained <laughs> in the air and he was like, this is pretty cool. And then he was thrown against the wall. <laughs> he was knocked unconscious. And when he came- <laughs> Still pretty cool. Still pretty cool. <laughs> hey, doesn't happen a lot. When he came to, he claimed that right before he was thrown, he felt pressure compressing his diaphragm. This seance for Jackie could only lead in one direction now, investigation. So the group then looks into San Pedro bungalow and any deaths associated with the area from 60 years prior. They found an article dated March 25th, 1930, which talks about the death of a 20-year-old named Herman Henriksen, whose body was found floating under a pier in the San Pedro Bay. Hmm. No foul play was detected and the death was ruled accidental. But based on the description of Henriksen, it sounded like the apparition of maybe the old man. But why would he be oh, an no. old man if he was 20 sorry the guy at the kitchen you're right then who's the old man 
She moved back to the LA area in 1990, not back to the bungalow, but back to the area, and continued to research her old home on 11th Street. She believes she found the identity of the man she saw in the bunk bedroom. She believes it was the man who built the bungalow, John Damon. No microfish was needed for this tip, though, because one night the spirit woke Jackie up from her sleep and led her to his grave. Since then, he had not reappeared. Conrad believes that he found the killer of Hendrickson, I think, and that man was named Charles Pearson. He was a sea male. I don't say seaman. He was a sea male and had a reputation as being violent and quick-tempered around San Pedro. He also bore a close resemblance to Jeff Wheatcraft. As to why Pearson did it, we may never know. The final summation, this is very interesting, the final summation from Dr. Barry Taft was that Jackie Hernandez was manifesting the activity with her negative energy. The bungalow was not haunted. Jackie was a homing beacon for angry spirits. Just blaming it on this woman. I know, that really sucks. You're too negative. You're negative and all the bad things that These happen ghosts, are your fault. They're trying to just have fun and drink with their buddies and you're being a, you're being a real sourpuss right now. You're being a real sea male. So the more attention she gave the spirits and the more attention that she got for being the victim of a haunting, the stronger the spirits became. That's why when she reconciled with her husband, the activity ceased. But when she broke up again, it started again. Of course. Also, when she became actively trying to help the spirits, her energy changed as to the strength of the manifestations. They all died down. Even stranger was that Taft claims that the reason Wheatcraft was attacked was Jackie Hernandez began to develop feelings for Barry Conrad. And every time Conrad was near her, so was Wheatcraft. And the unspoken, unconscious energy about her grew resentful of Wheatcraft, which is why he was being attacked. Hernandez does admit that she had feelings for Conrad. She was angry at the accusation that she led to the attacks of Wheatcraft, also that she was a homing beacon for ghosts. <laughs> so in the end, it's unclear whether this is psychokinetic energy or, or a haunted house. The spirits were very specific about their deaths, which is a weird thing for it being psychokinetic. But another thing that can't be explained by her manifestations or whatever is the red ooze human blood plasma coming from the walls is not because you are upset or stressed that's that's different that's a manifestation of something the house still stands to this day and it's a private residence and for a long time the residence would not stay for very long but there has been no indications of paranormal activity since then so they're saying her either she was some sort of the, psychic whatever or she was manipulating hold this for me <sighs> No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay, go. <laughs> that was very upsetting when he showed me that picture for some reason. That she was sort of sicking ghosts on Not people. Not sicking like. as much. I, I think uh, I, I'm going to butcher this whole idea of like the tulpa or whatever, where like like your imagination and your visions are so strong that they manifest in real life. That's what they think a lot of a lot of cryptids and stuff. I think I was trying to explain to you. No, I saw the wolf. Man. I saw the wolf man. <laughs> I'm trying to tell you. You can have sort of extra sensory visions of things, and then your belief in them makes them stronger. Okay. Like hook, like, <laughs> like eating when you're in hook. They think it's something Put like it that. in terms Rufio can understand. <laughs> so basically, the energy about her and that she believed that all this stuff was probably leading to ghost stuff, and the more she believed that she was hearing sounds, they actually became real mm -hmm. to the point where other people could hear it. And she saw a man, and then she believed it so much that other people in the street started seeing spooky old men. But then they're so specific to deaths that I don't know. Like, what, is there just a ghost there, and she draws them out? I, I mean, you're asking questions that have no answers. <laughs> well, that's the bungalow on eleven street in san pedro <laughs> well that's the bungalows that's the bungalows for you that's a upsetting mm -hmm. story but also i don't believe it <laughs> I didn't believe until all the men were talking. Then I believed it. I wanted to go this week and take pictures of it, but it's... I know a good bathroom around there. If you, want to go. <laughs> if you need a poop. Well, look, I'm going to get to another haunted house right hey. now. A classic. We're finishing off with a couple classic haunted houses. It. I'm going to warm my hands with that fire while you talk. Oh, oh yeah. I forgot about that fire. Hang on. Yeah. Let me just listen to it for a second to reset. Ah... Oh, Merry yes. Christmas. This is a fire. Ah, yes. You know Ouch. how I know it's 
You know, I know it's fire. It's the heat. And it also looks like a fire, like a traditional fire. It looks like one. <laughs> it looks like your traditional American fire. Let's get to our final story of the night. Hear ye, hear ye. Haunted house on the hill heaves hefty horrors half-drenched in hemoglobin. Oh my God. This I die is fire. Whoa. Oh. Somebody say die. <laughs> I'm manifesting your death <laughs> as I'm strangling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how am I doing this? <laughs> this is finally the story of the guy I kept alluding to tonight. And his house, which might be the source of more ghost stories and urban legends than anywhere else in this part of town. Frank Vanderlip Sr. He was born November 13th, 1864 on a farm near Aurora, Illinois, like a common rube that he was. Ha, ha, edgy. Rube. When he grew up, he started writing for local newspapers while also going to school for economics. He made a name for himself as a writer because he would focus on business stories. So to get an insider's perspective, he bought stock in every company in town so that he could attend the shareholder meetings and get scoops that the other reporters couldn't. Wow, okay. So that was his tactic. Eventually, he worked his way into the big leagues of the Chicago newspapers, where he developed a reputation amongst the financiers as someone to be afraid of because of his editorial takedowns of several of the big financial institutions. One business guy saw Vanderlip's family crest, which had three wolves on it, and he pointed to one that had particularly sharp fangs and said, this one's Vanderlip. <laughs> Little did he know. Full moon. Boom, come out. You're going to find call out. Call me that on the full moon. Yeah. I'll show you just how sharp my <laughs> lips are. He was just a brash, young, hotshot financial reporter, and that yeah. caught the attention of a banker in Chicago who was made the U.S. Secretary of Treasury under President McKinley in 1897 and decided to take Vanderlip along to D.C. with him as his assistant. This is where Vanderlip pivoted from just a financial reporter to a financial doer. So while working for the Treasury, he helped lay the framework for a new central banking institution that would be created years later and would be known as as the Federal Reserve. Oh. So he was one of the uh, planners of that. He managed to also help make a deal that sold $1.4 billion in Spanish-American war bonds, which was credentials enough to land him the job of president of the National Citibank in New York in 1909, which is now known as Citibank. Oh, wow. So he was the president of that. He turned them into the biggest bank in the country by the time he left the company in 1919. Meanwhile, Vanderlip had become something of a kiss my lip as he <laughs> fell in love and married a woman named Gussie Mabel Cox on May 19th, <laughs> Name I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, on three counts. <laughs> she just went by Narcissa which okay. is an even older day. Yeah. Narcissa was a very progressive woman. She was active in many women's rights organizations and was instrumental in ending child labor in the country. She got pensions for the elderly. She helped get federal aid for education. She helped get full citizenship rights for women. Oh, cool. Okay. So she and her husband also established the first Montessori school in the country for their children to go to, of which they had many of them. They were the aptly named Narcissa and Frank Arthur Jr. Then there was Virginia Jocelyn. Get ready for some old names. Oh, yeah. Kelvin Cox, John Mann, and Charlotte Delight. Oh, these are cowboys, you're saying? Yeah, this is their merry band of cowboys. <laughs> these are uh, folktale legends. But in 1913, Vanderlip got up to another scheme, and he and a group of investors that included J.P. Morgan bought up the 16,000 acres that is now known as Palos Verdes okay. for about $2 million with plans to develop it as a new community and combine all the cities in the peninsula into one. San and they Pedro, invented all that. real estate. Yeah. This is why he's referred to as the father of Palos Verdes. Okay. However, Vanderlip had never been to the West coast but when he finally came out to see this property that he'd just spent a small fortune on sight unseen he was in love he okay. loved it he called palos verdes a dreamland sea and sky his son kelvin would describe it as the jeweled earlobe of los angeles the area reminded vanderlip of southern italy so he decided to build his family a summer home there at what is now 99 vanderlip drive on the top of the hill in 1916 you're still there yeah it's still there okay still there like a ghost or is it like actually still there it's still there, there. <laughs> 
literally. There's tours of it. <laughs> you can visit it on weekdays. <laughs> it was originally called the Old Ranch Cottage, but it now goes by simply the cottage. Okay. It gets newer. You might recognize the name Vanderlip because that's the name of the dam that fails in the movie Chinatown. That's what it is. Yep. Thank you. Robert Town, who is from San Pedro, he named it that because they actually filmed part of the movie at this mansion and one of the Vanderlips that was living there at the time kept bothering Roman Polanski, so Town decided to name the dam that causes a tragedy after him. Funny. They also wanted to have guests while they were there, so they built a little villa in 1924 called Villetta, but is more commonly known as Villa Narcissa. They also built a barn and stables and the farmstead, which is now the Portuguese Bend Riding Club, and Narcissa donated 3.5 of their acres where eventually the Wayfarer's Church was going to be built. Peacocks are a big thing here in Palos Verdes, and there's a couple stories of how they got here. One being that they were given to Vanderlip as a gift from William Wrigley Jr. from his aviary on Catalina Island, but the timeline doesn't add up there really, so the most likely story is that they were actually a gift from Lucky Baldwin's daughter. Oh, wow, okay. So anyway, Vanderlip had this beautiful property overrun with peacocks with a perfect family and plans to develop the rest of the land and sell it off. And then World War One hit. Then things started to bounce back after the war, and the plans were once again coming together, and then the Depression hit. <laughs> and this apparently was when relations within the family went sour. Here we go. The Depression broke up families? Why? There are a few incidents that have said to have happened here. The first was that one of their daughters had fallen in love with an African-American man, and this was not something that Vanderlip liked. He invented banks. He probably wouldn't like that. Yeah, he invented banks. Yeah. He forbade her from seeing this man, but it was too late for that because she was already pregnant with his child. Mm -hmm. So what Vanderlip did was he built an asylum slash prison across the street from their house and once the baby was born he locked his daughter away in it and made her watch as he killed not only her black lover but also their baby. That's real. With nothing left to live for the daughter then killed herself in the prison. This is real. Stick with me. That wasn't all. They also say that some young girl was on the property there at some point. Maybe she was a witness and she too was killed and thrown down the well. But (laughs) there's more. It wasn't just Vanderlip who went insane here. Narcissa also began to lose her mind. Some people say she was possessed or that she just had a mental illness. But one day she took an axe and chopped up the rest of their family and their two dogs and buried them in the walls. And then when people on the outside were finally able to get into the house, they found her hanging from a beam in the living room. So the spiritual residue... I have a picture of that. Uh, (laughs) Oh, that's the same pose. Um, That's real. We'll get to it. The spiritual residue of this has been reported by locals for decades, and everyone has heard or experienced their own story about this area. On one of our first dates, we were in Palos Verdes, and Melissa, with Melissa, yeah. uh, not our first date. <laughs> I, was, I mean, you never take me out. You never call them dates, <laughs> I, for you sure. Never tell me, oh, you never take me south. We're just hanging out. Shut I up. I don't know what we are yet. <laughs> so Melissa told me, we were driving through there, and Melissa told me this weird story about ghost dogs chasing people that don't bark because they had their voice boxes removed, so you wouldn't hear them coming until they got you. So I pulled over and told her to get out because no mate of mine will ever speak such nonsense. I'm going to see a feral cat lady. I've got a date with a fetus. But it turns out that's a common story there because that story always stuck with me. And then I was reading this, like everyone has that story. A lot of stories involve glowing ghost dogs that roam the grounds. One person says when they got near the mansion, they saw these ghosts. And when they tried to bark, they had light coming out of their mouths. Others have said these dogs have actually rammed into their cars as they were driving by. There's another story of something that rams your car as you drive by around the pretty treacherous Portuguese Bend Road. But this is a white ghost van that tries to run people off the road. One lady 
who lived in a nearby house said her earrings went missing and the next day she was walking home when she felt that there was something walking behind her so she looked around and there was nothing there except her missing earrings on the ground (laughs) some say that there is an entrance to an underground tunnel at the wayfarer's chapel that leads to the mansion which is used by satanists to drag in victims for sacrifices okay it's hard to get to the house itself because it's now part of a gated community but people have seen figures in the windows and heard crying kids coming from inside the house others see a woman dressed in gray who screams at people who come out to look she says you're not supposed to be here to them (laughs) they believe this is vanderlip's daughter one person said they went there and heard gunshots and then a woman screaming and then flames coming out the windows because the house was badly burned by a fire in 1962 and then a woman stepped out onto the balcony and he asked if everything was okay and she said why don't you come in and find out no (laughs) why don't you come up and see me sometime (laughs) at which point he scurried away as was his job these are all horrific stories (laughs) they're stemming from a a few extremely horrific incidents but here's the scariest part of all of this ask me if it ever happened did it ever happen no gosh darn it i wanted that to be none of this ever happened i wanted that tragedy to be real so bad i know one of the first things i read was like all these scary things and the next thing was like this never happened these are all urban legends none of this happened people may have seen these things but all the stuff about vanderlip and narcissa killing their family that never ever ever happened vanderlip died june 30th 1937 of natural causes because he was disappointed in his daughter (laughs) and narcissa died march 5th 1966 in scarborough New York, also of natural causes. She hung herself. Yeah. Um, her obituary... <laughs> Gravity men- is a natural cause. <laughs> Gravity is a force of nature. Yeah. Her obituary mentioned how she had helped found the League of Women Voters and also influenced Eleanor Roosevelt personally to become more feminist. There was nothing in there about her or her husband killing their children or themselves before they actually died. Liberal media won't want, want you to <laughs> know about it. And the daughter... She's fine. If any of she's, she's still she's, 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 she's right right here. Hey. hey, I didn't do it. <laughs> I am not a ghost. So if any of that did happen, it's even more impressive that they were able to cover it all up and yeah. still pretend to be living after they had already killed themselves. Yeah. So the mansion was passed on to their son Kelvin and his wife Ellen, who they were an interesting couple. She came with her family from Norway to Illinois, where she developed a habit of getting in good with rich and famous families and came close to marriage with one of the heirs of the John Deere company. <laughs> she was then convinced to move to LA by Sterling Hayden, who was the guy who the played actor? the cop that gets shot by Al Pacino no. in The I mean, Godfather. he is, but he's also the main actor of The Killing and Crime Wave and a lot of really great movies. Yeah, but Al Pacino best. finished him. Yeah, that was yeah, cool. Yeah, that's it. That's way, way cooler. She came to LA. She became a secretary at Warner Brothers, where she was introduced to Kelvin and fell into a romance with him that was written about in the tabloids by Hedda Hopper. They had a lot of celebrity riddle parties in that house on the hill. Myrna Loy lived in the guest mm. house before World War II. Before World War II came and they turned her into bullets. <laughs> Paulette Goddard, Goddard. Oh, yeah, Paul. Look at art. Got good. Got. God, yeah. sorry, God Catholic, <laughs> and Burgess Meredith, they oh. honeymooned there in 1944. They were married. They were married? They were married. That old librarian? <laughs> <laughs> that old banker turned librarian due to apocalypse? Dr. Seuss stayed there for a while in 1946. He was Ted? friends with them. Ted Geisel. Yeah. Ted Geisel stayed You may there. know him as... The real Grinch? Human Grinch Ted Geisel. <laughs> Kelvin died of lung cancer in 1956, and Ellen moved herself and the kids to Europe, where she was given Legion of Honor for helping restore art in France. But after eight years, she moved back to the mansion and was in 
instrumental in getting the Wayfarer's Chapel built and also Marine Land. She helped get that built. She was aware of the legends and the ghost stories about her family, many of which were attributed to her, even though she wasn't even in the picture when they supposedly happened. She referred to herself as the Wicked Witch in the Haunted Castle. <laughs> she said, I have been the target of every brave high schooler who wanted to break my gate and climb my fences. She even admitted that some of these stories of a ghost lady on the grounds telling people to leave was just her trying to scare people away. <laughs> it really happened! <laughs> she died not that long ago, July 2009. She was 90 wow. years old. The house is still owned by her children, but I think maybe the guest house was sold outside the family okay. in 2012 or vice versa. You gotta take Mirna Loy with it. Yeah. <laughs> She's not going anywhere. <laughs> a guy named Don Christie who lives there is a, he's a step-grandson of Vanderlip, says he's lived there his whole life, never experienced anything like what's mentioned in these ghost mm-hmm. stories. And what's he say about the asylum across the street? He says, don't look at that. <laughs> <laughs> Pretend that's not real. Don't, <laughs> don't look in the well. Don't mind that. Yeah. <laughs> he says, there is really nothing up here to see and I would so appreciate it if the public would leave the Vanderlip family alone, which sounds like a cover-up. But, uh, he, <laughs> the words of a person covering something up. He also admits to purposely scaring people who come by at night also. Now, why, knowing the facts, do these stories about this still exist? They seem to have started in the 60s, and the family believes it's because in the 50s, Ellen's dad would come visit from Norway, and he was this old-fashioned Norwegian guy. He would walk around the property at night in like an, a long like Dickens sleep shirt and a sleeping cap holding a lantern. <laughs> and his friend Marlo would be right behind him. <laughs> he was always rattling, yeah, rattling chains. chains. Oh, a Norwegian old-time remedy yeah. for getting rid of the cold. It's it's the only way to fall asleep if you have insomnia <laughs> in Norway. People probably saw that and just went from there. Yeah. So also the Vandalip family was pretty private and not that much about them was really known to the public. So they just got Boo Radley by everyone else in the neighborhood. But why do we still get scared of these stories? We're told to our faces that they never happened literally by the people who were brutally murdered. Yeah. <laughs> do we just want the world to be a scarier place than it already is? Or do we just want to kind of, yeah, that's right, scary to be afraid of while knowing in the back of our minds that it's not actually real? Whatever it is, I'm Aaron Mankey! <laughs> And this is L.A. Mankey. (laughs) Welcome to L.A. Mankey. It's weird that you don't know more about Mad Magazine when you're the living embodiment of Mad Magazine. (laughs) Just lazy parodies of popular things. Exactly. You still, like, you told me that it's not true and a lot of it's like them, but like, I would never go there. I would never go there. Ghost van? I want to go there right now. I'll tell you how we'll go. We'll drive through Tempanga Canyon. We'll we'll go through Tempanga Canyon. We'll go down the coast and then we'll get to Palos Has anyone tried to give dog food to dog, coast dogs? (laughs) No, but they give it to the feral cats so they want to <laughs> attack them. I can't stop getting these feral cats stop eating ghost dog food. I so wanted these stories to be real yeah. but there was no denying I, the facts that this didn't happen. I wish happen. it would have killed the African American guy and pushed the girl down the well. I, I wish. I so wish these good people Who, killed their whole, their family, whole family in the worst way axe. possible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wish that he built an asylum just to lock his daughter away and there's only one cell and no guard. I wish. then I could have a good story to tell. <laughs> yeah. Then I can go and look at the spot and be like wow life is crazy. But they're pretty scary Scary stories. I got freaked out yeah. writing them and freaked out listening to them yeah. and saying them. I'm freaking. I'm a haunted man now. <laughs> I can never go back to what I was before. But I could tell you what you'll go back to being before, which is a fan of this podcast by leaving us a five star review. Yeah, that was a harsh transition. Yeah, now I know what it good. feels like on the other side. No, no, no. It's pretty nice. It was a nice smooth ride. <laughs> smooth ride, just like trying to go down Portuguese Bend being chased <laughs> by a ghost van. Well, Clementine, Clem is <laughs> yeah, spitting yeah, water, spitting at water you on your at windshield, you. and your windshield wipers are broken because they were stolen by that old ghost that old in Santa ghost, and now it's sitting in the Santa Monica Hall of Fame or whatever you were saying and the lighthouse is blinding you and <laughs> you don't know 
Where the Santa like- Monica Compost Hall of Fame, <laughs> the Zoo Do Hall of Fame. But yeah, like uh, like my cohort was mentioning. I'm going to burn my hand in the fire and blame it on him and uh, say that he held my hand there. I'm going to strangle myself <laughs> and throw myself up on the roof. And um, say he did it. Uh, yeah, leave us a review on iTunes if uh, you like what you're here. Leave words as a review and also stars to go along with that. Yeah. If you have an iPhone, you can open the podcast app, search for us that way and do it straight from there. It's easy. What we're liking to prefer now is if you leave reviews, make sure to leave it for individuals. Like, Greg's doing a great job. Great us each individually. Yeah, great us individually. See what that does to our confidence (laughs) over the years. (laughs) Just line them up so we can read them individually. Yeah, make it as digestible. Even if you just glance at it, you can tell who's doing well and who's doing poorly. Yeah, and then you can root for somebody. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. one of them will be in red ink. One of them will be in slightly less red ink. But yeah, leave us a review. It helps us uh, become more visible on Mm -hmm. iTunes, help us become more searchable, and gives us a social cachet so that people will uh, respect these wild stories that we're telling that are proven to not be true. Help us spread the lies. <laughs> Other than that, you can follow us on Twitter at LA Meekly. Follow us on Instagram, LA underscore Meekly. We post pictures of things around the city every day. Follow us on Facebook. Uh, just search for LA Meekly. You can go to our Tumblr page, which is LA. This happens every haunted episode because there's a window behind me that yeah. only you can see and you keep looking at you... it and your eyes get four times the size and it freaks me out. I need glasses and you need a smaller head. Those are two <laughs> things that need to happen. We can only afford one <laughs> our doctor is not good yeah like us on facebook there's the main hub lameekly.tumblr.com there's the archive of all of our episodes there you can support us on patreon for mm-hmm. as little as five dollars a month you can get postcards sent to you. you can support the podcast keep us going we also have higher levels we could do bonus episodes we're coming up with better merchandise that's it yep <laughs> and that's all we're doing forever yeah and we're also our episodes are also on youtube if that's easier for you to listen to as well yeah and stitcher wherever you want to wherever you want to listen we're um out there. we're out there man just like the truth is which we told none of tonight none, not a single story was true man come on all these names was hard <laughs> made up stories by south bay locals and crazy fishermen tales <laughs> so what's your closing thoughts as we as we get ready to extinguish the flame i until next another, creepy yeah con- next, creepy another crunted, year um, creepy krampus somebody this weekend asked me if i believed in ghosts and i say you know i, I want to real bad but every time someone's like you know something floated i'm like you're lying as you know in my oh you're my co- stellar you're stand-up career <laughs> It's the only sort of story people can tell you and you can flat out say to them to their face that didn't happen <laughs> and it's acceptable. It's, it's totally acceptable. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same way. I don't be- I don't think I believe in ghosts, but I'm so scared to go home yeah. right now. Everything you told me is scary. I want More them. so than usual. I mean, for someone who loves ghost Again, stories. you just looked out the window. Stop doing you that. You move your head and the shadow of you moving your head makes me think something else. if I move my head and there's just a horrific old man face? I would flip out I would hard. Flip. I would flip my four wigs. He would be covering the only entrance and exit of this room, and I would flip. I'm going through the air conditioner. I'm going to pop in. I'm going to hide in the projector. Um, <laughs> for someone who loves ghost stories, I've never really experienced the ghost thing, and that really bums me out. And I'm, I'm, It's almost like I resentfully don't believe in ghost stories. Yeah, I've never experienced... I mean, I've never had a, a true ghost story before, yeah. except for that thing, with the story I think I told in the Catalina episode that's right. about the bread. Yeah, that's... Yeah. <laughs> and that picture of an orb I took. That's in, right. 
Albuquerque, that's which right. Ghostbusters told me, no, it's not a ghost. Uh, that's two experiences. I can't call you. Yeah, that's, two, that's two experiences. I don't, I don't believe it. I don't believe those two experiences that I had. <laughs> what about you? What are your closing thoughts on this whole thing? Uh, it's fun. It's a scary episode. Yeah, I'm glad we focused on a particular area yeah. of the city rather than ghost stories. Yeah. And I was, I, every year I get scared that we're running out of really good ghosts and creepy stories in LA. And then I'm like, oh yeah, there's an entire book of stories we haven't told. Great. Yeah. And Which, we're just going to read that next year. Next year it's going to be San Pedro Part 2. Um, <laughs> San Pedro Part 2, The Curse of Griffith Park. <laughs> it's December now, so I hope you all have a nice right. uh, Hanukkah starting in a few days. Hint, mm-hmm. hint. Nice eight New days Year's. of reviews. Yeah. No, I'm talking about Hanukkah here. Have a, a nice uh, Christmas. Uh-huh. I see a wonderful life. <laughs> it's been a, it's been a, a wonderful, wonderful life. life. That's the movie where he does kill himself. <laughs> it's been a wonderful life, but... Well, I, th- uh, wow. I had a great time, but I, b- uh, I don't uh, believe that angels have abandoned me. Um, go to the one of the many screenings of It's a Wonderful Life and you might see Greg there. Yeah, you might see me there. Yeah, enjoy your holidays. Try to savor it. Don't, you know, don't get sad or anything yeah. like a lot of people do. See you on New Year's. See you on New Year's. New Year's Day. Wake up. Just don't even fall asleep. At yeah. the stroke of midnight, this just podcast will come out. Download. Yeah. <laughs> just click download. Five, four, four three. <laughs> no, don't click too early. You'll break the system. Have a good rest of 2018. Hopefully yeah. it hasn't been too horrible for everybody, even though it has. It has been, yeah. Here's for to a better 2019. 2019. This is the year, unlike the other two years, where it's going to get better. So that's it for us. Yeah, that's uh, that's been yet another episode of L.A. Meekly, devoutly cataholic since 2013. Meow. Oh, holy night. <laughs> Feliz Navidad. <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs>